Hello and welcome back to It's a Musical Podcast, the podcast show where I force my boyfriend to see musicals he really should have seen by now and then we talk about them. I am the boyfriend. And I'm a witch. And we're bobbing along on the beautiful bright blue sea. There's another lyrics but you were really close. Bobbing along. <laughs> Bobbing along on the beautiful Blimey <laughs> Briny I thought it was Briny It was Briny or Blimey And I was the like beautiful Blimey I don't know if Blimey's a word Well mm. I mean like Gosh Blimey governor But like In the context of Beautiful Blimey mm-hmm. You know Yeah if you haven't figured it out by now We are watching Bedknobs and Broomsticks this week Woo So it's a bank holiday Monday over here mm-hmm. Bank holiday Musical Monday and when we were looking at the scheduling, I know that this is one that has been on our to watch list for a while, mm-hmm. as it is. Friend of the podcast at Jared Good. Hello, Jared. Has wanted us to cover this for the longest time. So it's been something on our kind of like horizons, which is appropriate considering, you know, mm-hmm. bobbing along. But having a bank holiday, to me, everything about what I've seen of this film. Yeah. You know, like the old timey recording, the Mary Poppins-esque animation. This just feels like sit down on a bank holiday, which will probably, I mean, we're recording this the Wednesday before the bank holiday. Yeah. Sorry to shatter the illusion. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) For those of you that think... We sit, record, edit and release, edit and release, and do some amazing artwork all on the Monday. Mm-hmm. We're we're watching this. We've had some April showers today. Yeah. Chances are we're not going to be having nice weather on this bank holiday. So this does feel like the perfect kind of film to mark the occasion. So put okay. it in the scheduling. Just based on you saying that, what do you think this film is about? Witches. Okay, but what's the plot? What happens? They. Bob along. <laughs> I, I I don't know what the plot is. I have literally no I want idea. You to tell me what There's happened. a scene where children get turned into rabbits. Mm-hmm. I've seen that gif. Yeah. I've had some interaction with a fan account on and Twitter. Eglantine Price. Yep, yeah. Who she She's is great. She is we Eglantine Price. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think it's a parody account. I think it's a real account. It actually is her. Yeah. Hundred yeah. percent. She's she's the main character. Yeah. And there's something Mary Poppins-ish about her. Like, this isn't a P.T. Travers. No. Or a P.L. Travers book. No, this is by Mary Norton, who I think most famously wrote The Borrowers. Oh. And all of those books. And the the book like... version of this was called The Magic Bedknob, or How to Become a Witch in Ten Easy Steps. They they do a lot on the, on the bed. Like, they sail... They go into water on the bed, and yeah. you know the bed is like their, uh, yeah, their, their magic object. Mm-hmm. Has there ever been a borrower's musical? No, but that absolutely should be, and I that, would love to know what that would look like. Yeah, like that feels ripe. We've you know obviously had a great film with John Goodman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We've had do you know Arietti. You know that Draco Malfoy, Tom Felton is in the the borrowers i have not seen that film because arietti is so good arietti is great but i my borrowers the one i grew up on is the one with jim broadbent and john goodman and tom felton's in it pre harry potter like bad hairstyles yeah i love it i think it's amazing one of my favorite films desperate to rewatch it but i will watch anything with john goodman Mm -hmm. arietti by studio 
Ghibli yep. is great. Mm-hmm. I saw Best Film Ever because they've covered Howl's Moving Castle last week. And uh, they, they, they've apparently found the right way to pronounce Ghibli. I can't remember for the life of me what it is now. Yeah, some people say Ghibli, some people say Ghibli. I don't know. Would you, I mean, would you recommend Arietti for people who were fans of... I would absolutely recommend Arietti, but not the English dub that is on Netflix in the UK because it's, it's shockingly bad. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think you know, obviously we're, we're deviating a lot, but oh, yeah, as we're talking about a musical... Mm-hmm. Based on was it Mary Norton's works? Yeah, Mary let's Norton. talk about you know one of her more famous works, and mm-hmm. let's get oh, I did maybe not more famous. I don't know how Borrowers bookwise definitely more famous. Borrowers is ripe for Everybody a knows musical. What a borrower is. Yeah, you know, and I don't know what a bed knob is. I know yep. what a broomstick is. Mm-hmm. I'm very okay. So is she traded on her broomstick for a bed knob? No. Okay. Is that what you think the plot is? A no, witch I just and think, some kids. Honestly, I know that she's got like a, a controversial relationship with a wizard that some people think they're together. Some people are like, no, they're not together. Like they're shipped. They're the... That's so interesting. What? Because I don't think... I think it's just made very abundantly clear that they are together. Is it really? That's really interesting. I've never heard that. I, obviously, I don't think there's a you know big market for shippers of a film that's been out since. Or maybe this is the original film, like the original ship film. Maybe I just thought. Did you say nineteen seventy one? Yeah. Jeez. Yes. So Ben was a broomsticks. Nineteen seventy one musical fantasy movie. Cool. And interesting, he's only just getting a musical stage version now. Because that's due to debut. Yeah, we're going to talk about that. Yeah, so that's very interesting that it's been, gosh, 71, mm-hmm. 81, 91, 2001, 50 years. Yeah. Blimey. So this is directed by Robert Edward Stevenson, who also directed Mary Poppins, as well as things like Lovebug, Herbie Rides Again, and Jane Eyre. Basically, a lot of the Disney films that, for me, growing up, I had no interest in because they look like old movies old movies yeah, but I understand. adult movies you yeah, know they sure. when you when you have a choice between the lion king or bed knobs and broomsticks see i would have picked bed knobs and broomsticks as trials however i don't controversially mm-hmm. i think this looks older therefore it doesn't oh, sure. look as enticing to a mm-hmm. especially you know it's so it's... when you've got some more options like aladdin or mm-hmm. hercules yeah, and and I think for me, there's that issue where there's very much the period where Disney really did try to branch out to live action, and I don't personally think they had much success. Yeah, you know, for me, none of them are as enticing. But Mary Poppins and this blend yeah. the animation with it, so it's kind of like a nice intersection. Yes, this one has a lot more of the blended animation than Mary Poppins does, but in a different way. Because Mary Poppins is just super califragilisticexpialidocious, whereas this is... Well, and Jolly Holiday, the penguins. I mean, that's the whole sequence. That's the super califragilisticexpialidocious sequence. Yeah, but they're different songs. Yeah, but it's that sequence. (laughs) Whereas this feels like it's not the whole film, but once they get going on their adventure, it Mm -hmm. becomes like this yeah and i feel like we're going to see a lot of recycled stuff like disney usually has you know how like how snow white becomes made marion yeah, yeah and like blue is yeah pretty much everyone i feel like we're going to get a lot of recycled 
Mary Poppins animation over the top of this. I feel like I've seen like the penguins. That's interesting. I'm not telling you whether you're right or not. I just think that's interesting. Yeah. yeah so this film came out in December of 1971. Mixed reviews because it was very widely compared to Mary Poppins. Yeah. Well, it's going to be. I think. Yeah, of course. And it is the last film released just prior to the death of Roy Disney, okay. which is Walt Disney's brother who, you know, we watched the whole thing about Disney World. Yeah. yeah he took over after Walt and he died a week after this film came out, which is sad. That's very sad. Yes. So in 1971, they made this movie and it was originally 139 minutes and then they cut it down to 118 minutes because the real player at Radio City Music Hall, where this film premiered, could not play for that long. Jeez. So they cut it down because they were told, we just won't be able to show your film. And then in 1996, they remastered it, added in all of the removed footage, and that is the version that we're going to watch. So this is a slog. It's a long movie. This is a lot longer than I remember it being. See... Worth it for Angela Lansbury. Worth it for Angela Lansbury. I was gearing up to like a 90 to a 100 minute film in my mind. So now I've got to kind of overcome that and be like, oh, I've got to watch a long film. This this seems to happen every time we watch a Disney movie is that in our heads, we're like, okay, 90 minutes, that's fine. And then we put it on and it's like a two hour, like over a two hour film. I think it's different when you, if we were watching... Old School Aladdin, Old School Beauty and the Beast. They are that long because they are fully animated. Mm -hmm. But because you got the live action, but also I I guess it's easier nowadays. Not easier. That sounds sounds like pretentious. But it is a lot. I think it's less challenging to make an animated movie nowadays because the technology available to you is so interesting. I mean, we saw that Frozen was famously completely redone in four months. Yeah. You know? Um, so you can do more and you don't have the time limits, the time constraints, like you can do more than a 90 minutes quite easily, mm-hmm. but this one, I wasn't expecting it to go so long. And now I'm like, oh, we're not doing a sprint. We're doing a marathon. And it's worth it. So, well, we'll see if it's worth it. I mean, it, it, will it grab me early? If it doesn't, if this is a high school musical levels of nothing to really grab my attention early on. But you like Mary Poppins. <laughs> we'll see. So, when the book came out, yeah, the original book is called The Magic Bed Knob. Cool. That came out in 1943. Then, in 1945, Walt Disney bought the film rights to just that book. Then Mary Norton wrote Bonfires and Broomsticks, which is the sequel novel. And he blends the two. Yeah, in 1947. And the two books were then released as one book with the two stories in it, which was then renamed Bedknobs and Broomsticks. And that came out in the 50s. So Disney owns the rights to this book at this point. And Norton then sold them the rights to the second part So there's two books. Mm After 10 years of them being released, she just puts the two books together as like an anthology and renames it by its like fan name. Like, have you affectionately called it? You got the bed knob one, the boomstick one, let's call it bed knobs and boomsticks. I think she just merged the two names and was like, we'll just call it that. 
Because the first, the key in the first name is the bed knob. Yeah. And then the second one is broomsticks. We want to make it clear that there's witchy involvement in okay, them. Okay, so she's blend, she, she's not rewritten them. She's just put them together. Yeah. Cool. It's like an anthology thing. Yeah. So, negotiations with P.L. Travers for Mary Poppins in 1961 were going really, really badly. Famously. And, famously. And so at that time, the Sherman brothers were like, hey, you own the rights to Bedknobs and Broomsticks. Kind of a similar vibe, similar age range that we're pitching to. Why don't we just do that instead? And Walt Disney was like, cool, start working on that project. Let's start thinking about what that would sound like, what it's going to look like. Read the story. Let's go over it. They They didn't have a script yet. Then they did a story conference with... Bill Walsh and Don DeGrady, who were the writers for it and the producer. And the Sherman Brothers sang a song that is from the film. And Walt Disney fell asleep in his chair. Oh, that's not good. Yep. Never a good thing. And then Disney finally got the rights to Mary Poppins and the project was completely shelved. They were like, cool, we don't need this now. So then... In 1966, it was brought up as something that they'd started but nobody was working on. The Sherman Brothers started writing again for Bedknobs and Broomsticks. It got shelved because everybody was telling them that it was too similar to Mary Poppins and they just released that in 66, you know, and they wrote the music for it and everyone was like, you're just remaking Mary Poppins but this time she's a witch. Yeah. What's the difference here? Which is a fair thing. However, in, in modern Hollywood... People would be like, "Why are we not working on this faster? Mm-hmm. Why not?" They'd probably be like, "Why don't we work it? And make it Mary Poppins, you know?" Like, yeah, there's the sequelization idea is so much, and this is I've said before, this is a mm-hmm. spiritual successor. Yeah. So, the Sherman Brothers had a running contract with Walt Disney, yes. and it was set to expire in 1968. Yeah. At which point, Bill Walsh, who was one of the writers producers from before, went down to their office and was like, "We want your contract to stay on." But we don't want to rewrite your contract, so we need to start working on something so that you can stay in contract without us having to re- like redo your whole contract yeah. sequence. Uh, so they started reassembling the work. They pulled the story together. They started working on like new songs for it, and they started pulling old songs, unused songs from other projects to put into this film, cool. specifically the one that you just sang. <laughs> Which is from Mary Poppins. Really? (laughs) Yeah, initially. And there was no plan to put the film into production at all. They just needed to be working on something so that they could stay being paid. And Bill Walsh promised the Sherman brothers that he would get them back into the studio and working on this project for real. And then in 1969, he finally got it sorted. They were making this film now. Cool. Guess who was originally cast... Julie Andrews. Yes, indeed. They asked Julie Andrews. They offered her the part and she hesitated. She didn't want to do another Disney movie quite so quickly. Understandable. And then while she was thinking about it, Bill Walsh called Angela Lansbury. Angela Lansbury said yes straight away off the back of she loved Mary Poppins. And she was signed on that year. Yeah. At which point Julie Andrews called back and was like, you know, I owe a lot of my success to Walt Disney. I feel really bad for saying no. Like, it's fine, I'll do it. And they were like, oh no, sorry, we've cast somebody else now. Which, 
the gall. I mean, in fairness, <laughs> what you've got to do is you've got to admire them for sticking to their guns and sticking with Angela Lansbury. Mm. They could have been like, yeah, Angela, we're going to... We we're actually gonna... want we Andrews. Well, so this is the thing. We were listening to uh, 52 Weeks of Christmas podcast mm-hmm. covering Home Alone. And I didn't know that uh, Harry and Marv... At one point, you had a different actor playing Marv. They'd originally got... I can't remember the name of the actor we got for Marv. Yeah. And he said, don't want to do this anymore. The, 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 the project's going to be taking longer to film than I've, I've said. You're not going to pay me more, so I'm out. Someone else was cast. And they realised the chemistry was off. Yeah. So they just fired him and brought back Marv. Oh, but and they he had got, to pay him. But they paid him mm-hmm. so much for it. And they potentially could have done that here for Angela Lansbury. Now, maybe... Mm-hmm. Did they only not do that because they didn't have to pay out Angela Lansbury? Maybe there is no loyalty. Yeah. You know, two weeks ago, I'd have been like, hey, that's great loyalty. Here, I'm just thinking, I wonder if it was an investment. Mm-hmm. What's funny here is that this is the you know second time on this podcast that we've discussed how Angela Lansbury has replaced Julie yeah, Andrews. basically. In a Disney production. Mm-hmm. So, Angela Lansbury was dead set she was definitely going to be playing this role and then they were considering the male lead and they initially wanted ron moody which i think is interesting casting i recognize the name yep okay Mm -hmm. cool and well he plays fagin yeah no i know he doesn't play oliver and then he'd be a very different oliver if he did yeah he was ultimately replaced with david tomlinson which is the dad in mary poppins yes mr banks yes so this is Mr. Banks's like new life. He's been changed. He's been improved by Mary Poppins, and he's left the Banks children. Oh my God! This is why he's not in the sequel because he's left the he Banks did. children. He divorced his his wife, Mrs. Banks, mm-hmm. and he's gone off with witches. Cool. That's my new headcanon. So this, this is Mary Poppins one point five. There's three children in this movie. They were all talent scouted yep. by Disney talent scouts from different places. Like, one of them was in a stage production of Peter Pan, and she caught their attention. One of them had been in a load of commercials, and one of them dropped out of school to be an uncredited role in the Disney David Copperfield. Okay. So he was on Disney lot, basically, but... And they just found him. Yeah, they just came across him. They filmed in March, from March to June of 1970, all of the coastal scenes that are in this movie, of which there are a lot, were filmed on a beach in California. This is going to be important after we've watched it. Okay. Weird that this isn't filmed in England, considering I've always thought it's quite British. Additional scenes shot in Dorset cool. in England. They filmed for 57 days. And the animation and special effects took five months each to complete. <sighs> okay. So five months for the animation, five months for all the special effects. And then, yeah, they were ready to release. Cool. Mm -hmm. So this is critically mixed. Yes. Especially a hot off the bat of Mary Poppins. I don't think it has the same success. It certainly hasn't ever screamed Oscar winner to me Mm -hmm. in the same way Mary Poppins has. The fact that I don't think it is spoken as fondly as Mary Poppins like, people like this, but it doesn't yeah. have the same... I understand why, though, because I feel like this is a little bit darker than Mary Poppins yeah. is. A little bit more of the the common working man than Mary Poppins yeah. and the rich people. Yeah, this is the gritty Mary you know? Poppins. Yeah. So, obviously, we've talked about 
there is a new stage production set to debut at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival in 2021. Mm -hmm. Obviously, we're in 2021 now, but if you are listening to us from the future, hello from the past. Set to debut, Edinburgh Fringe 2021. It's due to come to a theatre near us. Yeah. I think October time, the week before we're penciled in to see School of Rock. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts? I would love to go and see it. It's opening at the Theatre Royal in Newcastle yeah. in August before it's going to go on tour. And then we're going to see it. <laughs> we're going to see it. You said you had to do some research before we, we committed to seeing it. I'm committed now because it is produced by Disney Theatrical. Yeah. Or the arrangement is produced by Disney Theatrical. So I'm okay with that. Cool. And I think any changes that look to have been made which obviously i can't tell you about because you haven't seen it so this is this is the thing is this is obviously going to be a result of 1961 Uh obviously mary poppins released in the 50s in Mm -hmm. the 60s whenever but set in 19 like early 1900s because we've got votes for women yeah is this set in the year it's released so are we led to believe that when we watch this this is modern day or is this uh, no. Okay. This is set uh, when the book came out. So the 1940s. Yes. So during the war. Yes. I'm very intrigued to see how that has an impact. Yeah, I'm trying to tell you things about spoilers. And I think this is the thing. So if we're going to set a brand new theatrical production, there will be references or sequences that need to be modernised, I'm sure. I'm sure we're going to watch some things and we're going to be a little bit like, ooh. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we, we know media is what it is, and media is a result of the day it's, yeah. it was made. Doesn't excuse it, and obviously I think it's important. I personally have the opinion it should be as it is, so we, we can realise why it's unacceptable, but then I'm not somebody who's been affected by it, so my voice doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. I know enough to know that I will call things out and say, like, I'm not cool with this, I don't think it's acceptable, mm-hmm. but I know that my voice hasn't got the same experience behind it so i wouldn't be surprised if when we're watching this there might be a few things where i'm like oh but it's disney yeah it's a spiritual sequel to mary poppins I'm, I'm i'm excited for this one you've decided it's a spiritual sequel to I, mary well poppins. in the same way like you know it's it's not a true sequel but it's, it's similar enough and close enough and you know people have spiritual sequels all the time to things yeah and they're not like true sequels they've got nothing to do with it but stylistically Mm. well so you know that i love murder she wrote yes and this is the film that made got me into murder she wrote so you watch this then murder she wrote yeah because of angela lansbury Lansbury. what does this film mean to you before we do watch it we've not spoken about that for a while but it's because like a lot so we know i talked about when we did mary poppins returns as a kid I saw Bert and Mary Poppins as like my parents yes. because they remind me of my actual parents. With this one, this did the same thing, except this is the like more human side of people. And so, which there I love are... that you're saying, considering we have witches and wizards. I know, but consider like there's a lot of human error to these characters, which we don't get as much. You know, Mary Poppins is pretty infallible. Yes. And so's Bert, really. He shows up wherever you need him. And that's not the way the world works. And is this one so they're far more fallible? Yeah. Cool. And it's quite nice to see heroes who are fallible. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. I Especially like... in the time that this is set. 
Yeah, I like that. You know, it's, I think a, a well-written hero shouldn't be perfect. Mm-hmm. You know, Harry Potter has a lot of flaws. Yeah. I, I loathe book five because of his attitude, but it's important. I love his attitude in book five, but only not That's, in a, what that, a great character trait in a, yeah, he's a teenager. Yeah, that, but my point is... He's fallible. Yeah. You know, which which makes it interesting. And that's a whole different podcast. But that makes me intrigued. I like well written characters. I'm 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 eager for this one. Mm-hmm. I think it needs a really solid opener. Yeah. Otherwise I might lose some enthusiasm. You know what we do get with this one? A really nice overture. Woo! That's what we love like. Love an overture. <laughs> we love an overture. As long as it's not like the funny girl one where it's like seven minutes of blackness. I, I love the overture. I think musically it's great, but this I doesn't don't want the TV to. I don't want to think the TV's broken again. I don't believe it does that. But that was weird. We'll find out, won't we? Yes. So we are off to California, Dorset, <laughs> to see the wizard, the wonderful wizard of Dorset, of Portobello Road. <laughs> See and we you soon. will be back. How pleasant bobbing along, bobbing along on the bottom of the beautiful briny sea. What a chance! To get a better peep at the plants and creatures of the deep we glide far below the rolling tide serene through the bubbly blue and green it's lovely and we are back we have travelled across the world mm-hmm. on our bed. Yep. And As come back not. to talk about it. Yeah. In comfort and style. I guess this film is named after the two modes of travel. Bed and broomsticks. That are most like otherworldly. Yeah. Which makes sense. Mm. Even though she uses a broomstick like maybe 10 minutes tops of this film. And, like, she doesn't actually sit on the bed knob. <laughs> I would hope not. That would hurt. But, like, you know, the bed knob is kind of the ignition. The steering wheel of the, uh, yeah. Is it the steering wheel? I thought yeah, the voice is the steering wheel. Yeah, you have to tell it wheel. where to go. Yeah, the voice is the steering wheel. But it's the bed knob that takes you there. No, but the bed knob is what activates it. That's the key. <laughs> you know, like, you, you put a key in a car's ignition, you turn it, and it goes, you've got a screw on. Mm. the bed knob to get going i would okay. say that's the ignition fine this was a very like charming musical yeah but also i don't think if i'd had a hundred guesses i would have ever got this plot <laughs> and some of the things that happen in it you know do you, you want to recap what the plot of this movie is compared to what you thought it was going right. to be so, well, i mean i i had no idea what it was going to be mm-hmm. world war Two mm-hmm. evacuees live with a woman doesn't want the children fine can understand that yeah why doesn't she want the children because they'll get in her way and because she's a witch yeah or a training witch did not expect that. Apprentice witch. Did yeah. not expect apprentice witch. I thought she was fully fledged mm-hmm. witch. 
they are going to blackmail her because yeah. of course they're cheeky Londoners right and she needs to get a spell so she goes to London on her magical bed knob yeah and tries to find her professor they then need to find another part of a book and then they need to find an amulet mm-hmm. and they go to a magical world yeah an alternate world an alternate world via a book and then the Nazis invade. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And she saves the day. Mm-hmm. But at what cost? You know, sure. like, I did not think Nazis would be in this. <laughs> I did not see that coming. Uh-huh. And, yeah, very, very weird, interesting plot. Mm-hmm. And some good songs. Yeah. <laughs> Is that all you have to say? That's I, it. I mean, we'll talk about it as we go through. I, I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. But it didn't come across as fun as I was expecting it to, you know? Like, it is a, a, a great movie, but it didn't have... You, you were right that this is a grittier version of Mary Poppins. Yeah. You know, that it's a lot more sinister and dark. Mm-hmm. And I really wasn't expecting kind of that from it. Like, it was still obviously fun, but it wasn't, like, childhood fun like I, I thought it would be. You know, here's me thinking I'm going to get Aladdin, and instead I get the Black Cauldron. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. And very, very interesting. <laughs> so, Overture. You like an Overture. We've I talked about it overture. before. You've got an Overture playlist. I Does think I, this? I sang along to this the entire time. So this this, this makes your overture playlist. Yes, absolutely. This is so nice. I have to admit, it's not my favourite one. I think it's quite muddled. Yeah. Because a lot of the songs are very different in tone, mm-hmm. so that so that when we're alluding to other songs in the overture, it comes across kind of muddled and distorted. These because... are very clear. I think cuts between different songs. Exactly, and I think as a result, the overture doesn't kind of flow. In the same way, especially because we have the like song on the street, Portobello Road. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the overture has references to Portobello Road where you have kind of different cultures. Yeah. And And that makes no sense if you haven't seen the film before. No, but also because you're kind of going from all these different cultures with the instrumental and the overture. Mm -hmm. Just sounds a little bit like messy Mm -hmm. for me. Be interesting to rewatch the overture again, having seen the whole film. Yeah. What I do like is that this is all shown on like an old timey tapestry. Yes, it's a medieval tapestry. Which I think is very, very cool. We see a Nazi U boat at the end. I'm like, huh, okay, that's very, very weird. Basically, this shows you the entire plot. It's, yeah, it's the plot of the film. But the music was very joyous as the Nazis were like marching. And that was weird. It is weird because obviously the what they've done is the overture plays over this medieval tapestry that shows the plot of the film. So they've written the overture to follow the plot of the film, meaning it ends with substitutionary locomotion, which is sort of our finale song in this movie with the battle. Yeah. And because of that, they don't show you the battle on the tapestry. It's just the Nazis invading. Yes. And... With substitutionary locomotion yes. playing over the top. 
And I, I'm looking at the time going, why can't I see hands, faces, any humans inside like these clothes mm-hmm. that are being led by this witch? Yeah. So that was weird. I guess this will uh, make sense by the end of this review. Hopefully. Well, so we have, at this point, going into this, you knew nothing about it at all. Yeah. And suddenly there's this overture and there's Nazis and uplifting music and everything sounds quite wholesome. Yeah. And I think that this is why I thought that she'd be an experienced witch instead of an apprentice trainee witch. Because this is so medieval... Like, it looks like she's gone through all these adventures in time. Like, already? Yes. So by the time we get to her... It's almost like it's chronicled everything she has done, and we're going to pick up from here. Yeah. Because then we see August 1940. Mm. So we know, okay, maybe she's already done something with the Nazis, and more's going to happen. Who knows? But we start to get introduced to the world before her. Mm -hmm. I don't remember who this character is, and I don't remember if he's even important. But we see somebody in a car driving up, and he asks for directions. Yeah, uh, so he isn't important, but he's the the guy that's in charge of the... Home guard. Old home guard, yeah. Yeah. I was going to say Dad's Army. <laughs> I call them Dad's Army. One of the things I really like about this film is it's very good at like introducing characters and just that's it. We bring them in, they serve a purpose, we move past them. It's not like we have to bring every character back. Yeah. But he's driving up and he asks for directions, which way to this place. Mm-hmm. And all the signs are being painted because obviously... We don't want the Nazis to be able to find anything. Yeah, so the place that he's asking for, the the man that's painting them hasn't painted that one yet. It's, I think it's like Penrith. Yeah. And he hasn't painted it and he's like, do you know how to get there? And the painter's like, no, I really couldn't say, sir. Paints I have to cover out. them all up. because yeah. it, the, And they say Nazis. Yes. Which I think is hilarious. The Nazis are coming. And this guy's like, but I'm a British officer. I'm not a Nazi. And, and that's like... <laughs> what a Nazi would say. <laughs> I mean, yeah. In fairness, that's exactly what he should be doing. Probably. He, he had every right to think this was a test. Because mm-hmm. he could have been like, oh, it's over that way. Yeah, of course you're a British officer. And then the British officer could get out and say, right, you're arrested. Yeah. Because. You clearly you could... would tell them. Yeah, you'd clearly tell them. And you'd, you'd doom this whole town. Mm-hmm. So he did the right thing. Hilarious. You know, responsible. And yes, we get the old time guard. It is Dad's army. Yeah. And that might be a reference that our American listeners or our listeners around the world don't understand. Dad's army is a Saturday evening, Saturday afternoon TV show from a long time ago that just followed the home guard mm-hmm. in a small rural part of England. There's a film version of it a few years ago with Michael Gambon. There was. I remember that. And one of the in-between is the one who we saw play Ogie. Yeah, I remember seeing posters for it. I never watched it. No, me either. But I never watched Dad's Army growing up either. It just is not my thing. I remember watching it, like, of an afternoon. I remember it being on in the TV, uh, in-between the football results and whatever. Yeah. I, I can't say I was ever that into it, but I think it had a banger of a theme tune. 
Yeah. Which I can't remember off the top of my head now. But if I li- if I heard it, I would know what it was. Mm-hmm. But the the sort of joke about Dad's army or you know the Home Guard is that they were largely ineffectual. They didn't really do anything. And like I'm sure they did, but the joke nowadays is like that was a waste of people's time. It was all the guys that had been in World War One yeah. who were now too old, but felt like they had to do something. I will say this: I think if there ever was a situation where England needed to be defended, they were ready, and it was a good exercise. Yeah, on the island of like England, but like they were never needed. Yeah, no, they were mostly, I believe, used for evacuating people. Which, you know, you need volunteers. Yes, exactly. It's like a volunteer firefighter kind of situation. Exactly. One of the things I really love about the costumes here is the fact that some of the straps on their helmets are no longer around their chins. They've literally gone right up under their lips or in their mouths. And Mm -hmm. they look so uncomfortable. And I think it just makes them look really comedic. Like, Mm -hmm. that's a choice. They could have chosen a better shot where that wasn't happening they chose to do that so why it's got to just be a comedy sequence yeah we've gone quite a way into the film and like establishing the world before we even come close to meeting angela lansbury yeah we get a scene inside a museum Mm -hmm. which is filled with medieval artifacts Mm -hmm. and we see that you know the people from the village are coming to claim the evacuees but there's three left And they're going to go with Miss Price. Yeah. Miss Price has no idea about this, though. Mm -hmm. And when she shows up, it's a great entrance because she's on her little motorbike. Yeah, with the green smoke coming out of it. With the green smoke. It's very otherworldly. And Mm -hmm. I guess my question is, do the people in this town know about her? A hundred percent. They know she's this trainee witch. So... There are missing scenes from this film that never got put back in. Yeah. Where basically everybody knows that she's a witch, but she's also a really nice lady who helps out around the town. So nobody questions it. Except for the priest. The priest is the only person that does not know that she's a witch. Well, I guess he'd have to go and do some kind of exorcism if he knew. Right. He wants to marry her. Oh, really? Yeah. In the original version of this film, there was a subplot where this priest, who is in the film, uh, is in love with her. Yes. But also a little bit more in love with the fact that she owns quite a lot of land. He wants to turn into, like, the church. Yeah, surrounding the village and... He keeps trying showing up to propose to her, and she's like, "Go away." I'm and they glad decided that's that been took cut. up too much yeah, time. Like, this is already quite a long, yeah, like film. And I, I'll be honest, I don't think there's much of it that's filler. No. I think there are some sequences that go over long, but mm. I wouldn't say you could cut this and the it film would benefit. The story. Yeah, yeah. So I'm glad that's been cut. I don't need to see her being like this eligible woman Mm. you know Mm -hmm. clearly though she gets on with everyone we see her in the post office Mm -hmm. the woman is very excited to see that she's got a delivery from professor brown yep emilia's brown and clearly this woman at post office ships them together well so that's kind of a remnant of the priest storyline is that the woman who runs the post office thinks that she's getting packages and letters from her... Lover. Yeah, basically. 
and thinks that he's like maybe away at war well, or something. It's a reasonable kind of assumption to make, especially with how excited Miss Price is to receive these items. Mm-hmm. And especially they're not expecting her to be like a scholar. No. In this kind of situation. And I guess the war is quite early at this point because yeah. it's only August 1940, so the war's not even going a year. It's it's close to the first anniversary of the war beginning. Mm-hmm. So it's still, I guess, when it was a six years event in its infancy. So Yeah, so they think that she's getting letters from a love interest. And actually, you can just tell, because obviously we live in a time and a year where we've all seen Harry Potter. Yes. <laughs> this is just a broomstick wrapped up. Incredible. I had no idea. Did you not know what I it was really going to be? I had no idea. It's I... wrapped exactly the same way as the firebolt is when yes. that shows up. Incredible. Still the funniest thing ever. So... Love in this and in Harry Potter where they're like, what did you get? It's a broom. Obviously. You can't say obviously I didn't pick up on it. Well, you're a muggle, so... <laughs> <laughs> She establishes herself as the sheer opposite of Mary Poppins because she says, children and I don't get on. This is like the antithesis of Mary Poppins. Yeah. And yeah, she grudgingly takes the evacuees Mm -hmm. on the provision that... You find somewhere else. You find somewhere else for them to go. And the woman who's in charge of them is like, yeah, absolutely. I'll do what I can. But thank you for keeping me out of this mind. Yeah. You know. You know, it's maybe the one kind of point where someone kind of says, well, no, you're not above us. Yeah. But it's handled in a really, like, democratic way. Mm. It's like... like Small town values kind of thing. Yeah. And I like that Miss Price is like, yeah, you're right. I'm in. Yeah. Well, we establish all the way through this film that she feels like she has to do her bit for the war. Yeah. And as soon as the woman mentions that it's like you know we all have to do our bit she's like okay fine i'll take them but this is it basically the whole plot is driven by the fact that she wants to do her bit for the war effort yeah that's it that's everything that drives the plot Mm -hmm. of this film so naturally at this point she feels like i'm already doing my bit and it's really important and i need to make sure i'm not interrupted Mm -hmm. however she just needs a little bit of perspective like yeah literally You've got to do everything Mm. that you can within your power to make a difference. There's this weird little line with the woman that came in before her to collect the other children. Yes. It's like, oh, that's so kind of you to take them. Um, You know, with your old farmhouse, you've got six bedrooms. So I thought, why not give you these? And there's six children. Surely they can double up on bedrooms. You know, if if you've got a house that has six bedrooms. I mean, considering how some evacuees had to live. Yeah. They must be like, wow, we want a jackpot here. (laughs) And then you've got these three that are sharing a room and with two of them in one bed and one of them on a sofa. There are some fantastic bits of media that look at what it's like to be an evacuee. I'm from the Lake District, so. And like, this is perhaps the most glamorous life mm. that any evacuee ever had during World War Two. I bet there's kids who grew up as evacuees watch this and like, I'm it's done. Between this turned and off at, turned off at this point, thinking that's not realistic. Mm. I, I, I really want. I really would like to know that one. So they leave the the museum. Yeah, she instantly dismisses the priest. 
and yeah. yeah and the priest says to the i think it's the mayor or something like what, i'm gonna what's marry that, that girl what's her machine running on and he says that's good clean gunpowder it's good for the environment and she just drives away and they're standing there like coughing i like the idea that he's the only one that just doesn't know what's going on everyone else is just like Dude, trying she's to, a witch. <laughs> almost like trying to hide it they know it's not gunpowder it's like they know it's magic but like how long before he gets it's like there's a pool going it would just on. be funny yeah. yeah at this point they're taking bets on who it is mm-hmm. and and how long until he he gets it yeah she fits all three kids into her sidecar yeah on and her they just they, they off they go mm-hmm. and we meet cosmic creepers the best cat ever what jellicle cat is that Cosmic Creepers. Well, so she says to Carrie. So we we have the three children, Charlie, Carrie and Paul. Yes. Age from oldest to youngest. And when they go into the house, Carrie, Carrie is the most polite child. Oh, yeah. She's like, oh, what a lovely cat. What's his name? Cosmic Creepers. Yeah, because Eglantine Price does not believe in giving cats frivolous names. And Cosmic Creepers is the name he came with. Yes. So that is his Jellicle name. Yeah. Yeah. And he's the original conjuring cat. cat. Yeah. Well, he is black as well. Yeah. He's a black cat. Like Mr. Mistopheles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this is this is one of Mr. Mistopheles' ancestors, yeah. Cosmic Creepers. Absolutely. And the cat doesn't like the kids. He kind of goes... It's all right with Carrie and Paul. It's Charlie he doesn't like. Because he knows. Yeah. He just knows. Charlie sucks. <laughs> and the children start whispering and Eglantine says, well, there's not much point of that. I'm very keen of hearing. So don't bother with whispering. Fair. Good warning. She could just let them do it and be like, I know everything. She tells them. Ironically, is really similar to a line from both Mary Poppins and Mary Poppins Returns, yeah. where she says, um, well, there's, if you're going to whisper, can you please do it loud enough that we can all join in the secret, which yeah. I think is hilarious. I've said that in classrooms before. Have you really? Yeah. <laughs> she upsets the children because they realise they will be offered no fried foods. Yeah. Uh, at this point, I'm guessing the kids would rather be, like, blitzed then live in that environment of no fried foods. It's like that moment where they're weighing up going, we don't want to leave just London, London anyway. And we really didn't want to come here. It's not like we're on holiday. And now you're saying that we don't get this. Mm. <sighs> well, she's, she says that she grows all of her own food yes. in her garden, but it's all like witchy stuff. Oh, it is. Like, again, she's not hiding anything. No. <laughs> Do you know what the funniest thing is? In a moment, we're going to talk about how the kids want to blackmail her. But the kids would be like, going down to the town and being like did you know and they're like yeah and getting nothing out of it they just come back the next day being like fine everyone knows we'll do what you say yeah so yeah the thing i feel most bad about for eglantine at this point Mm -hmm. imagine having to sneak about in your own house because obviously she's got these sneaking oh she's got the evacuees up there hasn't she and she doesn't you know she doesn't clearly want them to know what's going on yeah and imagine that, like she's got this whole house to herself and Cosmic Creepers mm-hmm. and she's literally having to look around and sneak quietly so that she can look at this spell that she's been so excited for. Mm. Like, that sucks. That's what, this is what it's like when you have children and a dangerous workshop in the same house. I get that, but it, I I just, I feel really bad for this character. Yeah. You know, like, 
Yeah, she didn't want these kids here. It's not like she lives with a husband and the husband doesn't know and she's having to sneak around. Yeah, this isn't bewitched. You know, this is her... Her sanctum has been kind of breached. Mm. Just thought I'd raise it. I felt sorry for her. Yeah, so she goes running down to her studio. And this is where we learn that she's an apprentice. Yes, she is a part of the Emilius Brown School of Witchcraft. Doesn't quite roll off the tongue like Hogwarts, does it? No. But my favourite thing is that in the letter that she gets, the spell that she has received is flight. So she's got her broom and she's got this spell and it, it gives instructions for how to ride a broom. And it says, because witches are always ladies with exceptions, like brackets with exceptions, and like you must ride side saddle. And she just can't get comfortable on it. Yeah, she's not about it at all. And she tries and she just loses control. So she's like, screw being a lady. And she just does what works for her. This broom must be one of Mickey's. Yeah. And Yen Sid's because it has a mind of its own. It just flies away, does whatever it wants. It's like the carpet in Aladdin. Yes. It already has a personality. Exactly. And it's not interested. Yeah, she's got to tame it. I think that's quite interesting. It's almost like she's got to tame it, break it in like a horse. Mm. And then she's off flying, having a great time. And the, the kids, as they discuss, are going to sneak out and go back to London. Yeah, so they've got all their stuff. They basically wait for her to go downstairs and close the door. Yeah. And they hear the door close and are like, right, out the window we go. And they instantly accept she's a witch. They're like, oh, she's a witch. Yeah, and again, Carrie, the most sensible child. She's like the Susan of yes. this adventure. It's like, well, isn't it obvious? She's a witch. <laughs> and of... then, like, they're just like, cool. And they move on and we get one of my first, like, lines that just made me laugh. She don't fly good, does she? <laughs> yeah, she's not very really good at flying. And I love she? that. It's a great line. The dialect for the children works really well. Like, I don't know how much of that is acting versus just... This yeah, they're is... all American. Were they? Mm. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. So they've done really good, like, accents. I thought they were British. I think Paul especially mm. does a good job. But I, yeah, they had a dialect coach. Far better than Dick Van Dyke. Well, far more convincing. I Dick genuinely, Van Dyke was an adult when he was doing that. Genuinely thought these were, these were British children. Mm. Charlie is a real wheeler dealer. He plans to exploit her secret. So he's yeah, like, hold he's... on a second, we've got a golden goose here. Mm-hmm. Let's go back in and let's milk it for all it's worth. Yeah. And they see her fall out of the sky yep. into a bush. And she goes in defeated. She snaps her broom, because when like falling into the bush, yeah. and it's, she just looks at it and then just throws it onto the floor and is like, I give up. So their demands are very simple. Mm-hmm. They confront her the next morning and say, we know. Oh, yeah. In the best way, Charlie says, how are you? Because she's limping. Yeah. And she's like, oh, I'm fine. I just took a tumble. And he's like, yeah, nice night for flying last night. And yeah. he's, she's like, oh, God. And he says that what they want for their silence mm-hmm. is sausages, mm-hmm. strawberry jam, no more washing. Morning and night, yeah. And lolly. Which is money. money. And I love that she goes, lolly. She's never heard this And then before. she turns around to him and is like, okay, well, I, I could give in to your demands or I could just silence you by turning you into a frog. 
Yeah, her initial response is so... This is such like a... If she was their teacher, I'd be so impressed, you know? What a great response where she's just like, why shouldn't you be scared of me? But she should learn. If she was a teacher, they would know they don't transfigure the students here. You do at the Amelius Brown School of Witchcraft. (laughs) Yeah. And yes, Charlie gets turned into a rabbit and Cosmic Creepers looks (laughs) very hungry licks his lips and gives chase. However, she meant to turn him into a toad. She did. There's a brilliant shot as Cosmic Creeper stalks yeah. Charlie. Mm-hmm. And it's quite, it turns into a horror film. Because yeah. <laughs> you're like, oh no, one of the children's going to die. She's that kind of witch. Mm-hmm. And the spells don't last long. No. Because she's still an apprentice. So Charlie mm-hmm. turns back and Cosmic Creeper hisses and runs away. Because it's like, oh no, it's a child. Ah, my weakness. Mm. Did you understand why her spells don't last long other than that because she's an apprentice? Because she's not got the pronunciation right, I assumed. It's because he's messed up the spells by messing them about. Yes. Yeah, he moved the words around so nothing lasts long enough. Ah, okay. Yeah. So if she just rejumbled it, it would work. If she has the actual book where the spells are in the correct order, she'd be absolutely fine. Fair. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. So yeah, we learn that she's not a wicked witch. She's actually here trying to help the war effort mm-hmm. because she could make a difference. And she's got a plan and that's what she's working towards and they're getting in the way. Yes. Paul preferred Charlie as a rabbit. Yeah, I same. think Paul is such a cute He's such a child, such yeah. a cute character. His performance is wonderful. Oh, absolutely. One of the best child performances I have ever seen. Mm-hmm. And this era... Of filmmaking doesn't really go hand in hand with good child performances. You know what I mean? Yeah. This is literally the only film he was in. Yeah. And then he's on a, a few soundtracks, but specifically for being in this film. Yeah. And then he in 2016 he appeared on the one show cool. for like a reunion. And that's it. That's His cool. name's Roy Snart. That's nice. Yeah. We see the poisoned dragon's liver. Now, good question. Did you have to poison the dragon? Is that why? It's because the dragon was poisoned and it's his liver. Or have you had to poison the liver? Mm-hmm. So it's a poisoned liver. Or did you just put poison in the dragon's liver? Yeah. You know, like, very interesting. Mm. Lovely and little bit of dialogue. Very realistic dialogue, I think, for I think a world. I think for a kid, yeah. Yeah, and especially when you're looking at such a fantastical kind of conception, we're still grounding in, like, reality of, like, how did this happen? Yeah. And she says that she doesn't know. It all comes pre-packaged and sent to her. Yes. Which means it definitely isn't dragon liver. It's definitely not poison. Yes. Probably just like the liver of a cat. It's probably not even. Or the kidney of a horse. Yeah. He's filling up the packages with this and that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Boo>. <laughs> Paul starts looking through his pockets and he says... He's got a bit of blue glass and a lovely bit of string. Lovely bit of string. Lovely bit of string, Jackie. (laughs) That is what it sounded like. It really did. And essentially, to make sure their deal works, Mm -hmm. Eglantine has said she will give them a magical object that if they then break their promise, she will want back. Yeah, she'll give them a spell and they can have it back. And it's going to be a magical bed knob to help you travel anywhere. Mm-hmm. So that's what they start doing. They they prepare the spell. 
and she gets her final letter through. Yep. The college is closed due to the war. Yes. And we've kind of got through the introductory act of this. We're now moving towards the next act, Mm -hmm. which is, right, we're going to go get this spell. We've established the world, established kind of four of our main characters. We're now going to move forward Mm -hmm. and deal with this conflict. So we've got some rising action. Cool. Mm -hmm. So we now have the bed knob that will, if you tap it three times, say where you want to go and twist it one quarter turn to the right... You, it will take you to where you want to go. And she asks Paul to please use it to take them to London. And he's like, no, I want to go to the jungle and he won't help her. And she explains, I was expecting a spell from Professor Brown. And Paul says, what's that got to do with my knob? <laughs> and you had to pause the film. We both we had giggling. to pause the film to giggle. <laughs> I just wanted to write the note down so I could say, Paul, maybe five or six but he's a typical man. <laughs> Only interested in his knob. <laughs> right. This is an issue I have with the film in the fact that, like, it's it's so purely incidental. Yeah. And I shouldn't laugh at it this. It could have been literally anything else. It could have been his piece of string. Yeah. Why? You know, I, I, I'm just clearly a child. Mm. But it's just funny. And I'm not the only person, we'll talk about it with Twitter comments later on, but I am not the only person that laughed at this. Right. Here's my question, though. She says to him that for this spell to work, she needs something that you can twist. And he needs to twist his knob. Yeah. But if you <laughs> did this spell on a ring, and then when it's on your finger, you twist it round three times. Yeah, you'd do that by accident, wouldn't you? And a ring, I would do that all day, every day. I think the thing is, a ring is more easy to lose. Like You noticeably like react when you don't have your ring, and you panic. Because mm-hmm. a ring could fall off at any point in time. And okay, but also if in this hypothetical situation, anywhere. I can do this spell. Yeah, to get a new ring. I know, but I think you've also got to have a conduit for travel. Yeah, like, you're not just flying ring. through. Yeah, but you need something to travel upon. But you don't. It. She says you can use anything as long as you can twist it on something okay, and i can well, twist my ring around my personally finger. if we're going to travel i don't just want to fly and float on nothing i'd like to sit on a comfy bed i okay fine you know but i want and the otherwise done on my ring is so this I can you know ring fingers places. and broomsticks doesn't quite have the same ring to it Boo. age of not believing yeah i like this song i don't it's okay it's i i forgot it kind of happened Mm -hmm. if i'm completely honest and i don't think it really showed off angela lansbury's ability to to sing as well as it could do Mm -hmm. i just feel like this is her first song and it's i guess it's of the of the time you know this is a song of the era all of the music in this is serviceable not a song i'd probably listen to again Mm. You know, like, I feel like this is very much like a Mary Poppins light song as opposed to just like, like, why does she care? Why would she be like, why is this, this woman, Eglantine, being like, I guess you don't believe anyone. Why is she acting like it's a tragedy? She's been so sarcastic and nonchalant towards these kids. She should just be like, Pip Pips, we'll be back soon. She literally just turned him into a rabbit five minutes ago. 
Yeah. And we're about to get, she's like, okay, we're going to get on this magic bed that's going to transport us to London. Yeah. And he's like, well, that's not going to happen. That's, you literally were a rabbit. That's what I mean. So why is this song so like pandering towards him? Why isn't it more sarcastic and dismissive? Because I think she's just being like, you know when kids say certain things and you're like, you need to take a look at yourself really and have a hard think about what you've just said. Agreed. I think she, in her head, obviously she's not around children. She doesn't have kids. Yeah. And But this she feels like, like she is. I don't feel like it comes from a woman who's never been around children. This is too pandering I like, feel like a nanny. I feel like it's just a sensible answer where she's just like, look. Yeah, but she shouldn't be giving sensible answers because she's not been around children. But she's... we've established she's just a sensible person. Yeah, I just, I feel like I'd have, I'd have liked a far more like sarcastic song towards him being like, you're an idiot, Charlie. You know? Yeah. There's a great a bit... line from Paul that says, Charlie's no fun anymore. And he's 11 going on 12. He's at That's that Carrie. age. Oh, okay. Well, I didn't get her name. Mm-hmm. She was just the girl of the group. Well, her real name is Cindy, and she's done the most acting out of any of the kids in this. She was in EastEnders for a really long really? time. Really? What's mm-hmm. post? Yeah. I guess, obviously, post. Yeah. EastEnders is This is the first old. thing she ever did. Cool. No, she was good. They were all really good, mm-hmm. but I feel like she doesn't have as much character as the other kids. Which is ridiculous, because all she does in this whole film is be polite to She's mother price. substitute, you <laughs> yeah. know, and yeah. there's not more to her than that. You could, you really could do this film in this story without her, and just mm. have two... You could. What does she contribute? That I don't have to listen to Charlie talk the whole time. Exactly. But <laughs> otherwise, what does she contribute that makes her essential to the plot? I just like her. I I think it's... But she's... For me, she's kind of like forgettable through this. Yeah. I don't know. Especially because we've got such a strong female figure anyway in Eglantine Price. Hmm. I I feel like we were supposed to have some kind of side plot where she also has some sort of latent witch ability. Yeah. And they just didn't have to... It awakens in her through it. Yeah. Yeah, like if she'd become more of a like assistant mm-hmm. type thing that would have been interesting it just feels like there's something missing there yeah she doesn't have a purpose yeah so they're sat on the bed and eglantine is giving instructions to paul on how to work the bed knob and she literally just says repeat after me and he's repeating but there's a really long pause <laughs> In between, where he really has to think about saying Amelius. And I just thought that was cute. Yeah. He's a kid. He's a kid. You love this in, in movies. It's like this, the original Annie. Yeah, the I really do. The charm of being an actual child. Yeah, but in the way that with Annie, obviously we talked about how, well, yeah, she, she wasn't the best actor, but she was a child. So there's charm there. He's a good actor here. And there's still like childlike charm to it. Yeah. And yes... Cosmic Creepers is stalking Charlie and Charlie is backed into a corner and just as they're about to fly off, mm-hmm. Charlie jumps and we're off. I don't <laughs> like the travel sequence because I found the colours made me feel very sick. Mm-hmm. It just didn't work for me and I'm glad it wasn't the same kind of idea throughout. Yeah. I couldn't actually watch it. The, the flashing images hurt my eyes quite a lot. So I I guess obviously being in this 
time period when it's set, when it's filmed. I probably haven't thought about that, but I reckon there was a lot of issues for epileptic viewers yeah. watching this. Mm-hmm. And you wouldn't get something like this if this film was made today. You'd get some really nice psychedelic Doctor Who-esque, but you wouldn't get this sequence. Yeah. You know, I guess it just shows how, you know, perceptions of, you know, epilepsy have changed, where there's a lot more consideration going to people watching these things. I'm surprised there wasn't, like, a disclaimer on Disney Plus that says... There was. You said it to me at the beginning. Did I? Yeah. Oh, okay. (laughs) I've already forgotten it then. It's a good job I take notes. Mm Mm-hmm. So, yeah, didn't like that. I can appreciate why people would enjoy it. It does look otherworldly. It does look, like, magical. For me, it disappointed me. I was I was really looking forward to seeing, like, travelling sequences. And yeah. I was like, I can't even watch this. So that's a disappointment. Mm-hmm. We stopped the travelling. We're now underneath the lovely London sky. And Mr. Banks... Yeah. Is a very charismatic con man. Yeah. Are you going to call him Mr. Banks for this whole movie? No, no, no. no. I just wrote Mr. <laughs> Banks here. Cause... Yeah, this is the same actor. Emilius Brown is Mr. Banks. In I Robin. like the idea that, you know, <laughs> he's just decided to leave his family. He's like, I'm going to start afresh. Do you know why he's in this? Disney contracts. Yeah, he had a two-movie deal with Disney. And they they thought the second one would be Mary Poppins too. And then it was never happening. And they realised that they just had to cash in on him quickly. Yeah, Yeah. they needed to use him before they ran out of time. Makes sense. Mm. He is like the street magician. And not a very good one. He talks about this frame and how he can stick a rod through it without breaking the glass. And he shatters the glass. Mm Mm-hmm. And everyone goes, and he is approached by the children and Eglantine. Yeah. And he has this awful bird whistle. And these are real things, certainly over here in England. I don't know, again, if they are in other territories around the world. Mm -hmm. Where I'm from is a seaside town. And peak of summer, we have a lot of tourists. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't go out during those months because, you you know, you you can't negotiate the towns. All the street vendors come out and sell these things and you just get all the teenagers, all these little kids buying them. And wherever you go, you hear these awful bird whistle noises. Yeah. And I hate them. (laughs) I hate them because they're just so annoying. So this came up, I'm like, am I supposed to like him? He's selling tat you're not supposed to like him at the start yeah no you're not and he's got i think the most growth the most journey out of anyone else Mm -hmm. yeah angela lansbury eglantine has a goal she gets on the journey to that goal and she doesn't grow as a person i don't think yeah no and i don't think she needs she needed to she's already awesome yeah she maybe gains a bit of confidence in herself as a witch but definitely but you know that would come as a result of more training anyway Mm -hmm. and the kids i don't think charlie becomes a nicer person i don't think paul goes to any growth paul just enjoys being a sassy child yeah they're just here and obviously i've already forgot the girl's name but she's there for the ride Mm -hmm. i literally i'm sorry i forgot her name 
So again, he goes to run away. He's like, oh no, she wants a refund because he knows, you know, he's conned and she's sighted the the magic school. So obviously she turns turns him into into a rabbit. rabbit. He should have been a brown bunny. (laughs) You know, he's Mr. Brown. That would have been a funnier joke. It's the same rabbit, clearly. It is the same rabbit. Each time. Because they've trained it. She can only do one rabbit. This is a really... We have a thing later on. Like, in a minute. Yeah. But this rabbit is very well trained. He's so well trained. Mr. Brown snaps out of it. And he is very shocked that the spell worked. Mm -hmm. And they get on the bed. And they go to his house. And they see that it's this big mansion. Yeah. And they're like, wow, how can you afford this? And he points out that there is an unexploded bomb. Yeah. Safe. Theatrical, but safe. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, we learn he is a squatter. Yeah, basically. Not the first musical we've dealt with squatters. I mean... Oh, I mean Rent. Yeah, sure. I was more thinking Wind in the Willows, but yeah, I guess Rent. Oh, okay. Wow, squatting is a real theme in musicals, isn't it? Yeah, basically it's the episode of Doctor Who where they go in and steal people's food when the alarm goes off. The empty child. Yeah. But yeah, he is squatting in this house and it's such a nice house too. Oh yeah, it really is. But he's been squatting there for so long that he managed to find this book, set up his witch school and start selling actual things. So she's been a trainee witch for like under a year, assuming that the bomb fell on the first day of the war. Yeah, I don't know how that would work, but he's been there a while. Yeah. The kids go and explore. They find the nursery. Mm-hmm. And Professor Brown pitches a showbiz career. Mm-hmm. And is this where we get Eglantine? This is a yes. fun sequence. Eglantine, Eglantine. Eglantine, Eglantine. That gets stuck yeah. in my head all the time, though. I Yeah, I thought this was one of the best numbers we've had so far. Mm-hmm. So, yes... Like, if you think the only numbers we've actually had at this point are the Overture, the Old Guard, and Age of Not Believing. Yeah. None of them have really stood out as, like, high energy. Because, hello, it's that time of the musical where I say, have I been sucked into the world? Well, yes, I have. Mm -hmm. Because the world is so exciting and the characterization is good. But the music hasn't, like, pulled me in so far. And this is the first song where I feel like high energy, like... He's bringing something interesting to this world. He may not be a nice character, but he's certainly bringing something. Yeah. Like a bit more charisma. Kind of what she's missing. He's got the razzle-dazzle. Mm-hmm. So it, it's a good little number. We see the kids in the nursery and we learn of the Isle of Nabumbu. Nabumbu, yes. And I wonder where the kid will ask to go. And yeah, this is where we see the very well-trained rabbit because, again, Mr. Brown's going on and on about, you know, he wants her to be his magical assistant. Because, again, he's just going to use her. Mm-hmm. Like, she's the one with the talent, but whatever. She turns him into a rabbit and says, find me this book. And he goes and he gets it for her. And the rabbit pulls it off the shelf. I've never seen such a well-trained rabbit right? anything That's exactly before. what I was talking about. I do not understand. I'm sure you can train rabbits. Yeah, I mean, you can train Clearly any animal. you can, yeah. Right? It, repetitive, whatever. Yeah. But you see a lot of very well-trained cats and dogs in movies yeah. and horses. Yes. 
Not very often a rabbit. No. Move over, Mice Bugs Bunny. sometimes as well. Because this is the, the best bunny it's a really well trained I've ever rabbit. seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We do have the unfortunate situation of that she picks the rabbit up by his ears. Yes, I know. And, and it, obviously this is before animal cruelty. In the same way that but... the kids are probably like picked up by their ears as well, you know. Like yeah. this is way before anyone's ever thought of the way they treat mm-hmm. anyone who's not an adult white yeah. male, you know. It yeah. is unfortunate and it's something you watch and you're just like, oh, I don't like that. But mm-hmm. I guess it's a career hazard of watching products from this time we're going to see stuff we don't like and we don't agree with with our 2021 sensibilities yes but the spell is not in this book so she reads the book and it's so tatty and disgusting looking it it looks like it's moldy it's an old book and that's why he closed the school he made an excuse Mm -hmm. he'd run out of spells so he's like right i'm just going to blame the war but he, you know, he says he found this book and he had to fight off another guy for it. Yeah. He got this half and the other guy got the other half and they've kind of been butting heads since. But we want to find it. Mm-hmm. Best place to look. Portobello Road, where there's a chance we could look at the book vendors and we might find something. So yes. we know where we're going next. And again, I'd say this is kind of the end of like act two. Mm-hmm. We've met that point. We've established the new problem. We've resolved the past problem, got this new one. We're now moving forwards on this. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. Really good, like, narrative structure to this. Yeah. You know, problem, resolution, but it rises. So each time we kind of think we're getting a resolution, it's kind of going up and down a little bit. Now we're going back up again. Really yeah. fun little roller coaster. I don't talk enough about, like, narrative analysis when we do these musicals, but I really... A lot of musicals are the same. Yeah, they're just kind of flat and one note throughout, but this really is like, wee. Mm-hmm. You know, we're going to really rise in a moment before we come neatly back to the status quo at yeah. the end. So we have Portobello Road. We Which go is, there on the bed. Yeah, this is basically Chim Chim Chiru. In, like... A step in time kind of way. Yeah, yeah in, in, in the sense that, A, it's as long as that one is. Mm-hmm. Outstays it's welcome like that one does, but has some really fun, punchy, like, melodies. Yes, and this is so... Like, if you look at this as a comparison to Mary Poppins, it probably falls around the same kind of place in the narrative. And I think also... second time's far later on. Post um, supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Yeah. So, and this is pre that animated sequence so i would yeah but like looking at meanings and things in mary poppins we have such a sanitized version of london yeah because they're rich (laughs) and then we have this version of london which is all of the normal people the working class people out in portobello road selling their wares with all of the guys from the army who were all in london and just sort of a mix and match of the world, which is super interesting. When was Mary Poppins Returns set? What year? Because mm. I feel like this actually falls after it. Because the first one's like very early 1900s. Because it's pre-World War One. Yeah, uh, this Mary Poppins Returns is pre-World War Two. Yeah, so this is like way after slump. that world. Yeah, this is, this is during the war. So yeah. obviously... Mary Poppins 1 and 2 have happened. Mm. So Mr. Banks faked his death. 
Yeah. <laughs> and didn't age. He actually is a witch. Yeah, he is. Professor... So there's a really weird sequence here. As he's walking through, we get these women in pink and brown who come up mm-hmm. to him. Literally, they're not selling anything. He's like dismissing them, saying no. They are selling something. Are they escorts? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. They're sex workers. They must be. Is that explicitly said anywhere? Or is that just no, us reading between the that's lines? That's just us. They are 100%. So... They are, they see this guy and are like, ooh, go flirt with him. He looks like he has money. Unless they're like Nancy and... They know him. Or pickpockets, you know, and they're just trying to distract him as like a little ragamuffin comes and steals from him. But too. I can't think why else they would approach him because it's not like they're selling anything. And he's not a, an officer, you know? No. He's just a dude. Because they come back and they're dancing with the officers later on. Mm-hmm. I, I think they're either escorts or they're definitely like they nicked something from him they're like honey trapping him you know yeah it's weird and one of the nice things during the opening of the scenes i liked it at the start i think it definitely outstays it's welcome but at the start we cut to all the children like enjoying portobello Mm -hmm. road we see charlie break a sofa jumping on it i think that's hilarious he just walks (laughs) he just runs away just kids are causing a lot of mayhem Mm -hmm. you see paul draws a mustache on a statue's head on, on the bus. I think it's hilarious. Just yeah. the shenanigans they are getting up to. And of course, Eglantine doesn't care. She's, She's not their mother. She's too busy focused on her book. And mm-hmm. I think it's hilarious. Mm-hmm. And then we see the sailors are dancing. Are they on leave? Shouldn't they be fighting a war? What are they doing in London? Yeah, they're probably on shore leave. There's a lot of uh, military-esque men on uh, shore leave. Maybe they've just been conscripted. Possibly. And, and they're, they're celebrating. they their outfits. And they're just like... <laughs> now they're out. <laughs> this is their final day before they go off to war. Maybe. Maybe. And we have a lot of different cultures thrown into this one scene, which... <sighs> okay, the only one... A lot of it one... feels uncomfortable. The, yeah, they're all... They're all very much like stereotypes of different nationalities. Yeah. And... You know, like, even with the Scottish, like, characters. Yeah. They're they're in their kilts. Because, of course, they're Scottish, they wear kilts. And we get, like, the bagpipe music. It's all kind of... It's not as outdated and offensive as it could have been for a film of this time. Many Scottish units wore the kilt in combat during the First and Second World War. Yes, which I'm fine with, and I'm aware of that, but it just all feels like... However, at the end of the first year of the Second World War, it was officially banned as combat dress and made into regalia. At this point, they probably wouldn't have been then. Yeah. I don't know what nationality our first answers are. I think they are supposed to be Asian. Yes, so our first it's not clear. Yeah, our first answer is they're just kind of from an area of the world that is not white. Yeah, it feels and like that bit in Annie. Yes, it, it really does, especially the music and their dancing and the fact that I'm pretty certain one of the actors... Is a white guy. Is a white guy mm-hmm. with makeup on. Yeah. That was the only bit of this film that I really looked at and thought, huh. Yeah. Otherwise, the rest of the sequence wasn't as bad. But that one just was very much like... It was just all like, you know, different cultures have different music and different dance styles. Mm-hmm. It is what it is. I, I think the sequence is over long anyway. And, you know, this bit certainly just started to outstay its welcome. Yeah. A lot of these people 
the dancers are completely uncredited for this movie, mm. which is sucks because there's this whole long dance break here that like I know you think goes on for too long, but in a stage show this would not be a miss, you know? Yeah. I think, you know, this does a really good job showing that London is this mixing pot of cultures. Mm-hmm. But did it have to be so like on the nose about it? Yeah. The, 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 I'll tell you what, I learned something though. Mm. I I did not know that steel drums have notes painted on them. Yeah. And that's awesome. I was looking and going, wow, that is cool. And of course, obviously, depending on where you, you beat the drum, you're going to get a different note from it. But that was very cool to kind of see like each area signposted. Yeah. And I'm sure like once you've been playing that for years, you're not going to have it noted. Mm-hmm. But just seeing that way, it's like, huh, this is probably how you train. I thought that was very, very cool. Yeah. Maybe they didn't want us to see it. But, you know, <laughs> I thought that was interesting. I think it's cool. So, she can't find the book. Yes. And at this point, I turn to you and I say, there's kind of a flaw with the plot. They're going off on kind of like a hunch following Professor Brown. However, when they were first starting their journeys Mm -hmm. she instructed the bed via paul to take them to professor amelius brown and the bed took them to professor amelius brown yep so why did they not just get on the bed save themselves the time and say bed take us to the second half of this book yeah that is some Right. Weird plot hole creating issue. The two times we've seen them use the bed. Oh, three times we had. Oh, no, two. We had to take us to London to see Professor Amelius Brown. So they specified London. The second time they gave a proper street address for this house. And And then then the third time they said Portobello Road. The third time they said Portobello Road. But. But all three times, those are places. Yeah, but the difference is, what is so clear is they have said to Professor Amelius Brown. Mm -hmm. It's not like they've just said, take us to London. They've taken us to a specific person. If they could say, take us to the place in London where the second half of this book is. Yeah, and that's the first time they use it when they go to where Professor Brown is. He's not there yet. The bed takes them to the place where he will be when they need to see him. Yes, exactly. So, yeah, they should just be able to ask for the book. They didn't think of that because otherwise we would not have this lovely moment where it is nice to see. To see an ice. Yeah. Bruce Forsyth is in this. You You didn't even recognise him. He was so young. You know how people are always like the best thing since sliced bread? Yeah. Sliced bread is younger than Bruce Forsyth. Mm -hmm. So sliced bread is the best thing since... Interesting. I'd rather have Betty White. I know. Um, it's nice to see Bruce Forsyth. <laughs> yeah, To see always. Bruce Forsyth, nice. <laughs> For the, again, this feels like one that's filled with like very, very British references. Yeah. You know, Bruce Forsyth, very, very famous TV host in the UK. What was he doing Ford in this film? Act. He's, you know, he's, he's an actor, you know. Yeah. But this part of the film is not filmed in London. No. It's filmed on set 
in Disney. Yeah, which is very, very interesting, especially because, like, they could have got anyone. Mm. I was just thinking, well, it makes sense. They've got some Cockney kids. They'll get Cockney Bruce Forsyth. Yeah, why not? Apparently, but everybody yeah. else in this film's American. <laughs> I know. And, you know, they found the book. So Bruce Forsyth comes out with his knife. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> so weird to see him with a knife. Yeah. He's like, he was the nation's granddad, you know, like... That's how I knew him, this really, really old man who was just, like, really, like, personable. I remembered on Strictly, like, the lead into Robin Hood, where he'd have this joke with the arrow noise, and that's how I knew him. Yeah. And so weird to see him threatening someone with a knife. You know, he only has 13 credits on IMDb. Wouldn't surprise me. Game show host for a long period of time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah. But he's only... uh... He has 199 credits as himself. Yes. And only 13 as in acting Oh, roles. okay. Cool. Yeah. So they find the book. They find this other man who has the book. And again, yes. he feels like he should be a big character, as does Bruce at this point. They feel like they're going to become the villains. Literally, <laughs> Not a threat. they are here for 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. And that's it. This weird seedy back alley bookstore where you can get the other half of the spells of Astaroth. Yeah. And that's it. They take the book. Off they go. Mm. And they find, well, so both of these people, both Eglantine and the bookseller, are looking for the star of Astaroth. They want to know the spell for substitutionary locomotion. Yes. And it says on in, in the second half of the book, which Eglantine is looking for, it says that the spell can be found on the star of Astaroth, which was a medallion worn by the sorcerer Astaroth, yeah. who famously took a pack of wild animals... Gave them the power of anthropomorphism. Yeah. Which, sure. And then took them all away from the world to a magical island called the Isle of Nabumbu mm-hmm. because they could not deal with humans in a human social manner. And then they were caged and they rose up. Yeah. And good for them because yeah, they deserved more than the cages. Them. And they killed him. Yeah, good. Straight I up. agree with, with the animal revolution. Yeah, it's the anti-animal testing moral of this story. So if I'm Paul, in the back of my head right now, I'm thinking, yes, jackpot, we're going to go to the Isle of Nabumbu. That's where I wanted to go in the first place. They could have literally just gone there. Yeah, again. The map, well, okay, we'll talk about what they could have done in a moment, but let's get through the next, like, 20, 30 minutes of the film, and mm-hmm. then we'll talk about what they could have just done. But... Here's my question. Who lived in that house... Because the person that lived in the house, right, it has to be, or descendants of him. Because in that house, we have half of the spells of Astaroth to just be stumbled upon. And this book. And this magazine, which is made of of sewn pages. It's a MacGuffin. I love this. House serves just like a purpose of everything. It's, It's this hub. It also has the dolls from the Small World Ride. Yeah, I know. The, the bookkeeper wants the book, so he's going to obviously threaten children with a knife, mm-hmm. because way before that. Sure. And they've got a plan. They know what they're going to do at this point. And they sit on the bed, and Bruce Forsyth says, he's up to something, you know. And the bookkeeper's like, shut up. Like, we've got them. Where are they going to go? Mm-hmm. And obviously, they're going about their plan. He's like, let me indulge you. Imagine this. And they disappear. Yep. Off they go to the animated times. And the blend of animation here... You know, like, for instance, the bubbles under the sea over the live action looks great. Yeah. It looks so seamless. You'd think they were actually, like, in this animated sequence. 
you know, it, it just looks so good. Mm-hmm. And I think the animation was just generally looked better than Mary Poppins. Like the blending with the live action didn't feel as like painful. Yeah. As I was expecting it to. Because I, I like Mary Poppins, but I don't really like that whole sequence because it just it makes me feel uncomfortable. Yeah. Not because of anything, you know, in particular. It just hurts my eyes, makes me feel a little bit sick. Mm-hmm. This was done here really well because the colours are kind of more muted. Yeah. And even when we go above sea, the colours are more muted. Mm-hmm. So it was okay. Yeah. And it just looked really good. You could see how the technology has already evolved. Like, look at the difference between Frozen 1 and Frozen 2. Mm. And they don't feel that far apart. Fun fact, Angela Lansbury hated shooting this section I can imagine film why, yeah. Because you can't make any personal choices about your character yeah. for scenes like this. And it would have been the same for Mary Poppins. But because you have your animated characters, you have to know what they're going to be doing. And you have to react to them. Yeah, everything is storyboarded in advance, which means you don't get to make any of your own decisions about your character. This was the most kind of like wooden bit of it for their performance. Mm -hmm. But it works. I think it, it, it looked very good and I enjoyed this sequence. I'd seen like the seahorse bit where... It kind of came out the shell. I'd seen that. Yeah, that's because it's at the start of every Disney home video. Yeah, so I'd seen that bit. <laughs> Especially the bit where, you, do you remember the old VHS where you'd have like the pirate copy versus the yeah. on one half and then the Oh, it would show you the difference. Yeah. God. And you'd have the... Like the really, yes. And then if she doesn't scare you... What the difference The difference is. in sound quality. Well, yeah. there was that. And then you I had, miss that. I know, right? The guy from Hunchback of Notre Dame who's like, I'm free, I'm free. Yeah. And then he falls into Dang the, it. That lives in my head. Yeah, rent <laughs> and free. And will forever. And it plays at random times when I don't need it. Yeah. I have issue with the animation of the fish. Some of them just look so dead-eyed that they've got no personality going on in their eyes. I love the lobsters that do the... Yeah. Da, 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 da. And I love the cheating octopus who has cards... Underneath his his hat. Oh yeah, the the fish dancing animation is really clever. It's cute. Yeah, I just don't like. I th- I think eyes are so important, and I'm not an artist. We know this. We know that you're the artist, and one <laughs> of the things I love about your art is that, for me personally, your the way you capture eyes are filled with expression. It's difficult though. It is difficult, and it doesn't work here because the fish just literally look like, like nothing. There's, there's like they're nothing. not looking at yeah, anything. Yeah, there's no souls to these animated yeah. characters. And that's, that is something that's missing here. Now, I have issue with them winning this dance trophy competition thing because surely they should only be able to breathe and be okay when they are sat on the bed because otherwise, A, they'll drown. They don't have gills. It's a magical island. Where they, they hate humans. Yeah. The fish people are civilised. They say that. I can only suspend my disbelief enough, you know? Yeah, but we have the guy, the fish man that introduces them, says to them, oh, I wouldn't go up there if I were you. They're not very civilised. Like, know, the fish people are do cool. Do they get many people here? Where well, have the it's fish... Asteroth, isn't it? Where have the fish people built this technology to be able to be like, oh, yeah, you can come down here? Because also, when we see the hook in a moment, we know they are very, very, very much submerged in the mm-hmm. bottom of the beautiful briny sea yeah right 
the pressure should cave their lungs in. I don't care. They are fine as long as they're sat on the bed. I did not need to see them get up and dance because that should literally be it. They should crush like a Coke can. End of film. <laughs> and yeah, I, I like the line, you've won the ruddy cup. You've won the ruddy cup. <laughs> and yes, they get fished out by Baloo, who has Tigger's voice. Yeah. And I like the fact that the animals have like their own kind of language. We see the science of no peopling allowed. Excellent. Yeah, love it. Of I want that sign. I, I reckon they, they fear humans because of what Astroth did yeah, to them. You would. You and would. the poor bear that we have is so easily So easily coerced. talked into taking them to see King Leonidas. Is that his name? Yeah, he's Leo. He's King, King Leo. Leonidas. Yeah. Oh, I didn't get that. That's so cool. Yeah, he's Leo because he's a lion, but then his full name things. is King Leonidas. Yeah. I like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's an angry king. He killed Astaroth. And he's also the world's greatest <sighs> soccer player. Yeah, and apparently Astaroth, I guess, was American. Yeah. I guess. I don't like that. I really don't like that. This is very clearly a British production. And, you know, like everything about it is so British. And obviously it's come from America, but... Right, because Mr. Banks, not Mr. Banks, Professor Brown calls it football. No, he calls it soccer. Somebody calls it football because somebody said football and I was like, huh? (laughs) Yeah. Or maybe it's Charlie. Charlie maybe says it's like Charlie. Footy. Maybe one of the kids calls it that. But the fact that, again, Mr. Brown. Professor Brown. Brown. Professor Brown, who has never been to America, clearly, there's no way he's going to call it soccer. Mm. Calls it soccer. I'm not on board with that. Just... I don't understand how, because when you're acting these scenes where characters are yeah. animated around you, somebody is feeding you the lines. Yeah. And. Surely at some point Angela Lansbury was like, we call it football. That's what I mean. Obviously, fine. I'm not like a, oh, well, we call it football. Because, like, it's called soccer in America. But I think when you are creating something that's so British in tone, Mm -hmm. you know, this is set in... in, You need to make sure your characters say the right thing. And it, 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 again, just breaks the illusion that these are real characters in a real world. And again, I know this isn't a real world, but... Mm. It's football to these characters. They wouldn't call it soccer. Speci- I always wonder, with films where they do things like this, like, what do they think American audiences are going to think? Because this is made predominantly for an American audience. Yeah. That's where it was originally released in America. And it's a Disney production. So who at Disney Studios was like, no, no, Americans aren't going to understand if we call it football. We're literally about to watch them play it context clues are there you know they're all wearing soccer uniforms yeah we're gonna get it i could understand if like you'd have an american dub where it becomes soccer i could understand the same way that we have the sorcerer's stone and the philosopher's stone yeah and they have like sidewalk and things in it i can understand that if they just change that one thing Mm -hmm. i mean in america i know that there are subtitles for johnny english too because the geordie accent for some of the characters is too difficult to hear Okay. You know, I understand that. I really do. That's super interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, it, it, you know, it's just different things culturally. And, it, you know, like Captain America and the, uh, and the Winter Soldier, camps list changes for localization and inside out changes for localization. Fine, changes and there. Yeah. But why does this, why why is this not change for localization? And if it is, maybe this we is just... This is sort of pre them doing that. Yeah. I just think it's weird. I think it should just be football. 
Mm. Uh, we're spending too much time on football for <laughs> we, a musical podcast. Right. But... We continue to spend too much time on football yeah, so for they... the next like 15 minutes. We learn that Professor Brown was captain of Tottenham Hotspurs for two seasons mm. and he was with Manchester United for three years. Yeah, he talks a big talk. And he still calls it soccer. You know, mm. like that's my point. He wouldn't be calling it soccer with that group of individuals, even though he clearly didn't. He's a conman, but... They notice that the star of Astroff is around King Leonidas's neck. And we see a sign in the background as they approach the football pitch that says, Royal Entrance, Kings or Better. I thought it was a great sign. Mm-hmm. Some nice, like, uh, animation going on here in the background. Yeah. The oh, yeah, This is really unfair, like the teams. This is a proper, like, uh, the jocks versus the nerds type yeah. thing, you know? like But... The Kings organise the teams. Of course. So, of course, and he's going to win. It looks very one-sided, you know, Predators versus Prey. Mm-hmm. However, it seems like quite an even match. Yeah. You know, like, they, they both give it either side. Also, the hippo versus the elephant is such a weird choice. Yeah. Like, elephants very famously could just kill you. Oh, yeah, definitely. But they, they're, they're herbivores and they're terrified of mice. Sure. You know? There's a, a bear in the background of the scene who's wearing a Mickey Mouse Club t-shirt. Oh, I didn't notice that. Mm-hmm. One thing I, I'm kind of disappointed by, but I understand why. Mm. I wish... Because we see that Professor Brown ha- is holding a proper football, but it becomes animated the second he, he starts play. I just wish it was still a f- real football. I understand. It becomes animated because it touches the animated characters. They all touch the animated characters, so why didn't they become animated? Because they didn't stay there for long enough. I think he should have just been holding an animated football the entire time, personally. Yeah. He should have animated over the football because I just, I, I was disappointed. But I understand technology constraints of the time. Of course that was going to happen. Mm-hmm. The problem is the rules of this. We talked about, you know, I'm a stickler for the rules with Descendants. And the yeah. rules of fo- this, this game of football are all over the shop. It feels more like basketball because the crocodile is using his tail to bounce it. We we obviously see, um, you know, that hyenas and lions historically don't get on and that's continued here. There's some, some bickering within the team. The hyena does Goofy's scream, which I thought was funny. Yeah. And Professor Brown keeps getting knocked down and he gets up again. You're never going to keep him down, mm-hmm. famously. You know, I think that song was written about Professor Brown. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, he gets knocked down, but he gets up again. I I really like how dishevelled he looks by the end of this. Like, as the sequence goes on, his clothes get ripped. He looks distressed. Mm-hmm. The elephant goalie is the worst goalkeeper I've ever seen in football. Yep. Because every time he uses his trunk to pull the ball back, it goes behind the goal line. Mm-hmm. I counted at least five own goals from the goalie. So the uh, herbivores, the prey, are losing this game by a considerable margin. Loved the monkey goalie. Yeah. Just swinging from the, the top of the goal and, like, punching the ball. Mm-hmm. That was, You know, this was some great animation. Uh, it went on a little bit long, though. You know, I didn't need a big, over-the-top, 20-minute football match yeah it's it is probably the only bit where i felt there was real filler Mm -hmm. other than uh easy street (laughs) 
you know, with, with, with the dance break. Like those scary. those two sequences could have been cut and we could have uh, got some more with Carrie, you yeah. know. Um, the, yeah, it goes on for a really long time. I'm not interested enough in football to care at this point. Yeah. And you're not feeling well this week anyway, so... No. I noticed you really shutting down and, and just, like, not engaging with it I at this point. I definitely did this as a child as well. Is yeah, I, would, I instantly was out. I would probably fast-forward this sequence if we watched it again. Yeah. Although it does make me wonder how this will work if we do go see the stage show. I hope it'll just be a dance break. Like This could have been done with a whole song. Yeah, like, like I Don't Dance. Yeah, this all could have been just a mm-hmm. song. So... Leonidas decides that he wins. Yeah, he has a really strong roar. Everyone literally just like goes flying. Mm -hmm. And Professor Brown manages to swap the referee whistle that he's wearing for the king's medallion. And he does it while talking about sleight of hand. Yeah. Which I think is is very funny. And And we get a great little line from the king where he's like, nice people wouldn't want them to live here, but they're nice. You know, they could visit again. Yeah. And then he changes his mind instantly. Yeah, because he's got this weird bird with him. Yeah, the bird... The king kings in Disney movies always have, like, a weird little sidekick. Yeah. And I guess it's, like, his butler. Yeah. But these animals also have a really weird concept of nudity. Because, like, as he roars, the bird loses his clothes and he's like, oh, no, don't look at me, my modesty. But then modesty. he only wears a top anyway. Yeah, but you know what I mean? They've just got a really weird concept of, like, aware self-awareness. I'm sure it's a whole Adam and Eve thing. Oh, yeah. You know, you give them humanity and suddenly you're aware of it. But it's just very, very interesting. Mm-hmm. And, yes, the... So we escape. Well, they're escaping. One of the things I have to say, like, she turns King Leo into an animated rabbit. And I really thought that was great that, Mm -hmm. you know, animated rabbit. Cool. Lovely continuity that he's in that world. Mm -hmm. The only time we get a different rabbit. (laughs) And yeah, they're back home. Cool. End of film. That's what I'm thinking. They've done their mission. They've got their book. End of film. Yep. But what does she want the book for? Oh, she's going to use it to... uh, well, to stop the Nazis. She doesn't want the book at this point. She wants... So she, she needed Anarith. the book, Azeroth. Azeroth, yes. She needed the book to find out the magic words. The book told her the magic words are on the star of Astaroth, which and is the necklace. we get the most patriarchal thing from Professor Brown. He's like, let me look after it. Women just misplace things. Yeah, it's weird because he hasn't said anything like that so far. And no. then we have two in very quick succession. Yeah, and then they get there. And he's lost the star. Yeah, when he opens his handkerchief and it fades away into dust and Eglantine says, yeah, I should have known that you cannot bring things between worlds. That's such a D&D thing. I can imagine Jake I would totally that saying that in like a, his DM voice. It's like, ah, oh, but alas, you cannot bring things from, you know what I mean? One world to the other. But what's the stardust rule, isn't it? Yeah. It's that you can't have magical things in the real world because they'll they won't last very long yeah so that happens but luckily paul knows the words but no one takes him <laughs> seriously like, literally nobody listens to me and i've known it the I, whole time i know and everyone's just like shut up paul shut up the adults are speaking yeah and, and he says oh what these words and he says the magic words oh yeah and how do you know that because we, we showed that eglantine is like trying to relive the words and the second he says them she's like how do you know child that's it it's because they're in his damn book yes 
So basically everything that's happened is for nothing. Mm-hmm. Did not expect that. I kind of like it as like a, yeah, maybe listen to this kid next time. Yeah, kind of like it, but also weird because it's like, so we've literally just wasted our time. And when you do that as an adult, you know, in real life, that sucks. Yeah, you know, as, a, as an adult where you have that moment where you're like, I just wasted two hours of my or life. Or like if you're in a video game and like you, you've you've put all your XP in and you've you've built up one skill set, one skill tree. And then you do a mission and you can't use that skill tree and you're just like... If this was a video game and you went through this whole level and you had to do this extended sequence where you win a game and you get the star through a trick and then you get home and you suddenly don't have it anymore. First of all, you'd be really mad that you don't have it anymore. Yeah. And then you find out that another player... Had it. Had it the whole time. You'd be like... I'm so mad. <laughs> I would have to stop. I would, I would have to save my game and stop. Mm-hmm. D&D, it's fine. Like, that's part of the appeal is that we'll all do, like, battle turns. Yeah, it's and funny. It's like, yeah, like, you know, and then you're like, yeah. Especially if you speak with your DM about, like, your branching options anyway. And it's like, yeah. yeah, you could have literally just walked out of the tavern. I know you've done it before where we spent ages in the tavern and you're like, literally just leave, you know. So stressful. But it is, but... Oh, had... you've also had occasions where, like, you planned for us all to do one route, and we're like, no, we're just going. You went shopping. Yeah, we went <laughs> shopping went one shopping. time. But there's also been an occasion, I, th- I swear, there was, or maybe Jake was running it, and it literally was like he plotted this whole side plot, and we were just like, we skipped the side plot and just went no, straight No, that on. was mine. Was it you, yours? You could have gone into the temple of a specific deity, and if you'd gone in there, you would have had the chance to speak to that god and get some stuff. And you all went in there and were like, oh, a child. And just followed the child out of the temple. And I was like, okay, fine. Yep. I'll just close that part of my notebook. <laughs> I mean, I love it for that exact reason yeah. that you get all these weird things. But that's different. And... You would also know who the bad guy is if you'd have done that. As opposed to Winter Crow. The, yeah. The cold bird. Cold bird. Yeah. I just, it, I, it makes me feel quite frustrated that we've been on this journey especially because the football match is just kind of meh yeah and here we are and they could have just listened to the child who had it the whole time it's like okay life Mm. lesson listen to children and we go to substitutory locomotion substitutionary locomotion yeah it's difficult to say this song works do you remember what the words are the magic words nope Bippity boppity boo. McCoides and Trichorum status D. Traguna McCoides. Traguna McCoides. <laughs> it means. Traguna McCoides. <laughs> yes. No, I was thinking of the producers. The Fuhrer is coming. Oh, God, yeah. And I mean, that's also true. It is also true. Yeah, you know, the words don't work, but the second they're like, hey, put it in a song, the song works, and, you know, the, the shoes start tapping. And. It brings everything to life. And this is a very cool sequence, like, you know, seeing these objects moving yeah. and the clothes coming to life and just, mm. it's very cool and very this well done. This song, too, has some of the most difficult lyrics I've ever heard in a song. Yeah. And that is taking into account even things like Hamilton. Because, you know, you've got the Guns and Ships rap, yeah. which is really, really fast. But, you know, that's a lot of normal words that we hear every day. But this song has... I don't want locomotionary substitution or remote intransitory convolution. 
Only one precise solution is the key. Substitutionary locomotion it must be. That is so difficult. I mean, what I'm going to say to you on that note is... Who are the composers? Yeah, Sherman. Where do you think Sondheim got... This is the last Thanks very thing. much, but I'm not getting married from. Yeah. But Who the, do you think his influence was? This is the last thing they did until the Tigger movie. They did the Tigger movie? Yeah. Oh, my days. You've not seen the Tigger movie? Add it to the list. Yeah. Add it to the list. <laughs> I just, I mean, this is so look at what they've done. And of course, they're going to have a song that's impossible. Yeah. So they wrote this. Then in the 80s, they did a load of music for Epcot. Yeah. Which is why I love Epcot so much. Mm-hmm. What well, part of why I love Epcot so much. Then they wrote the Tom Sawyer movie in the 70s as well. And then they did the Tigger movie in 2000. Cool. Yeah. And that's the last feature length film that they did. That's amazing. That's very, very interesting. Yeah. You know, this is fun. Paul's having a jolly good time. But it goes downhill very, very quickly. The Reverend ends up getting attacked. You know, the shoes are kicking everyone. Yeah, if he didn't think she was a witch now. Then... Yeah. There's a, well, he's like, oh my God, I must exercise this house. Mm-hmm. You know, this goes downhill very fast. You know, they have the boxing match with Professor Brown and the gloves. You know, it's, it's fun. And yes, lots of laughs. As... You know, everything goes wrong. Yeah. She stops the spell and then she makes them toad in the hole. Mm-hmm. I can't remember what happens, but obviously Professor Brown gets brown-faced because the gravy gets splattered everywhere. Oh, he... He says he can juggle, he's doesn't He's trying to he? cheer them up, the kids, by juggling because the kids are really down about her spell not working for some reason. Yeah. And the juggling goes wrong. Yeah, he drops his, his one of whatever he's juggling into his... Toad in the hole. The really, what really satisfying. It's um, sausage. In mash. Not in mash, in like Yorkshire pudding type stuff. Oh. It's really nice. Wait, so what's bubble and squeak? Bubble and squeak for me is like the leftovers from Christmas dinner where you have like all your brown and all things all chopped and then you have all your greens all mashed together. Oh, okay. But bubble and squeak might be different for different people. That's what we always called it. Anyway. Sure. This isn't a color. We, we, we've deviated so much. This is a D&D podcast this week. This is a culinary podcast this week. I'd love to do week. a D&D podcast. This is a football analysis podcast. <laughs> Let's get that. you know back to bed knobs and broomsticks because mm-hmm. we get a... And it's the woman from the museum and she's come to collect the kids because she's kept her promise because she is a woman of her word. Yeah. And it's only been a day. Mm-hmm. And already, she's grown accustomed to their face. Yeah. Accustomed to their laughs. Accustomed to them. She doesn't want to Crying musicals you'd rather be watching. I, I, I would watch this again. <laughs> yeah. I would, I'm, it's not like I didn't enjoy this one. Yes. Um, so the woman from the post office says she sorted out somewhere else for the kids to go, but that uh, she'll come back for them in the morning. Do the children know that their guests and not adopted. I looked this up because when we watched it, I was like, "Why are they? Have we just decided that they don't have parents?" Professor Brown, Dad. Yeah, but apparently, all of the kids that show up at the beginning are, are orphans. orphans. They're from an orphanage. But again, they've known this man a day, and they want to call him Dad. Yeah, are you going to be our father now, Professor Brown? Daddy Brown. 
I guess they've just decided that Eglantine's their mum. Yeah. In that case. Which I think she would probably accept, but obviously Professor Brown kind of freaks out. And Yeah, this is weird and dumb. Is like I'm going back to London because I have a lot of things to do in London and um Yes, I must get back very, very promptly because, mm. you know, great. I love the adventure, obviously, but uh, I've got to go back to London. Yeah, he decides he needs to run away. Yes. And, yeah. And then we see that there's a U-boat. Yes, the Nazis are here. And, uh-oh, yes, it's the Nazis. And they're invading. Okay, wow, this this took a turn. I did not expect this. Mm-hmm. It, I do have it. I don't like war films, and I studied this at college. And I I bought this DVD because I enjoyed it so much. It's an old war film called Went the Day Well, and it's essentially this, mm. where like Nazis infiltrate a sleepy English village. Yeah, and... I I know that in World War Two they planned to do that. Yeah, I don't know whether and it was it's... a very real concern. Yeah. Which so, is why they blacked out all the signs and everything. Yeah, and it's it's a great film. And I just did not expect to see that kind of theme crop up in Bedknobs and Broomsticks. Yeah. We cut back to Professor Brown. He's at the train station. And it was so important that he left straight away because he had to catch the train. We learn that there is no train until 4am. And he's just going to wait there. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah, and the 4am train is the post train. It's not even a train. It's delayed because Skimble Shanks yeah. was uh, was hunting the thimble. Hunting the thimble. Yeah. So he decides to take a nap. Yes, and then we go back to Eglantine's house. Mm-hmm. She sees the Nazis. She tries ringing the phone. Yep. No They've answer. Cut the wire. Yep. And we learn that it's like a a minor raid to practice, which like I could see happening. Yeah, it makes sense in the context of World War Two. Yeah, it makes sense. Like, we're not going to send the full forces if we know we can happen. There's probably, like, several U-boats all the way around the UK and they're trying to figure out where they could land mm. and have the most success. Yeah. And she does a brilliant bit. It would be a shame if you were to be turned into a rabbit. And she stands up and she just can't remember the spell. And she She's says... performance anxiety. Yeah, she says, Charlie, go get my notebook. And he runs for it and he gets grabbed by one of the soldiers because of course he was. How was that ever going to work? Short of him running into something and knocking himself out, they were never getting her notebook. Well, what I think is really funny is she obviously... She mentions earlier on that she lived just with her father mm-hmm. growing up. She obviously is used to being able to do whatever she wants in her own house. Yep. So she doesn't expect them to stop her. Yeah, which is hilarious. Yeah, so then we cut back to the train station, and, and Professor Brown is talking to himself, and he's dreaming, and he sings Eglantine reprise. Mm-hmm. And yeah, she, the the sexy ghost of Angela Lansbury shows assistant up. Assistant version shows up, and that's just weird. Yeah, that's what she looks like in his brain. Yeah, very very weird. And she's walking on the rail tracks. It's like the woman in black. Yeah, it is exactly like the woman in black. I didn't need to think about that. so yes and then he's like i'm going to go back to her and then he sees the nazis climbing Mm -hmm. like the phone line yeah they're cutting the wires and he decides i've got to go save her and they give chase and so he throws a barrel at them yeah that's it and they're knocked onto the train line we get really nice little sequence of him sneaking into the house Mm -hmm. the nazi troops have taken away eglantine and the children they've locked them in the museum so that they can do their business in peace because 
Like they're just getting in the way. No one else because knows they're there at this the point. The guy that's running them says he cannot stand the noise of women and children yeah. clamoring, which is both a great villain line. Yeah. And also like, okay. Yeah. But we get this really nice sequence as he's infiltrating and he gets kind of caught because he nearly he, caught, yeah. Yeah, because he gets he, he knocks something, so he hides in her office space locks the door they're trying to get in and he learns the spell to turn himself into a rabbit and he mm. points himself in the mirror and just in the nick of time turns himself into a rabbit and makes his escape you know and we but cut. one of the soldiers one of the nazis sees him yeah right as he turns into a rabbit yeah and they're like sparkles because every time magic happens there's, there's like sparkles. drawn sparkles around funny that his version of spell lasts a heck of a lot longer than hers because if you think about, he's maybe still a rabbit when he gets it. Supposed to only work on yourself. Maybe he well, maybe or maybe it works for as long as you need it to. I don't think it's that. I think maybe it's just like he isn't magic enough. He's done it, but his powers don't mean it will undo. Because like, mm. I don't know. Perhaps he's just yeah. Perhaps he's just done it perfectly. For what? A little bit of belief. Yeah. You know, or maybe this is a spell that only works when you're truly in danger. Maybe King Leo is permanently a rabbit now because it only worked because they were in proper spell. danger. Yeah. Fight or flight, isn't it? Mm. So, yes, uh, we cut back to the museum and we see that they're trying to force Paul through the railings. Mm-hmm. If the window doesn't work. And Professor Brown shows up. They turn him back into a human. And she's like, I mean, nothing's going to work. And he's talking up back up to her, like, you can use substitutionary locomotion and he's literally still on all fours yeah he just stays there and yeah they inspire her to use it on the weapons Mm -hmm. like the tapestry i wondered why there were no people on the tapestry and i got my answer because they're going to turn this whole military exhibit and you know it's war yep you know again this sequence goes very very long when it could be done a lot quicker you know you see this the slow uh, clothes just kind of advancing on the troops mm-hmm. and that seems to go on for ages before any conflict actually happens yeah we didn't get any German subtitles and then suddenly we get German subtitles for it's some sort of trick pretty good trick we only get them for things that we're supposed to understand yeah but it's very weird and I don't know if that's just an issue with our because you've mentioned to me Disney Plus isn't Yeah, it's been a bit weird. With, there's some there's been a couple of things with that where they the subtitles I watch basically everything with subtitles yeah. on. I know it annoys you. But No, I don't mind it. I don't mind it. So I usually have the English subtitles on. Yeah. But when you have subtitles playing, if the movie or show that you're watching subtitles something someone's saying, you can't see it yeah. because it appears behind where my subtitles mm. are, um, which is irritating. Yeah. But then also, if you turn the subtitles off, sometimes people will be speaking and you have no idea what they're supposed to be saying or if you're supposed to understand it. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. It stresses me out. Yeah. It is, it is, because you, you wonder, did we miss more important parts? No, we didn't. We're not, with this one, at least, we're not yeah. supposed to be able to understand them when we're around Miss Price. Yeah. But when it cuts just to those two, 
You understand But again, them. it's not all the time. We get a few no. more sometimes and I don't write them down, but there's some other times where they speak and we don't get anything. Mm-hmm. The inanimate objects march yep. and she's obviously commanding them. She stuck a Union Jack on the, the base of her broomstick, which is very cool. Yeah, she can fly now. Hat. Yeah, she's very, very confident. It's like she believes. Mm-hmm. By George, she's got it. Yes. And yeah, the puny weapons have no impact. They're like shooting through the clothes and just bouncing straight off. Yeah, because you, know, you shoot armor. an empty suit of armour. There's nice bits where they open up and it literally just goes all the way down. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they take off their things, their, their, their boots and just drop all the bullets out. Mm-hmm. You know. Yes, there's a great bit of practical effects in this. There's a couple throughout this movie, but specifically in this extended sequence of the battle, you have things like actors wearing suits of armour, but wearing them higher up on their bodies so that you can't see the heads, but they are still acting and moving inside of the suit, which is great. You have the German... You have the Nazi who gets stuck in the legs. Yeah. The actor is standing upright, yeah. so he's wearing the metal legs, yeah. and the legs that are supposed to look like human legs that stick out in front of him are animatronic legs. Cool. It's really cool. Yeah. It's I love a, a practical It effect. is a fun little sequence, but again, like I feel like it's just very slow. Like We get lots of the whole jokes of like their weapons were ineffective. Did we yeah. need as much of it? I think as well at this point, you know, we've already had a very overlong dance sequence, Portobello Road, very long football sequence. My attention span's starting to go. Mm-hmm. So this bit's kind of just dragging on. I know what's going to happen. At least I think I know what's going to happen. Yeah. You know, and sure enough, the Nazis are retreating. We see that Dad's army is on the way. And yeah, the, the Germans realise that there really are no people in these suits and they freak out. They abandon their posts because what is going Witchcraft, on? Witchcraft, yeah. This is the thing. The Nazis very famously were quite obsessed with like magics. Yeah, so I don't they... think they genuinely thought it was real though. Yeah. I think they that it's the same sort of like, you know, the interest that I have in witchcraft and, yeah, you know, if I actually came upon Voldemort, <laughs> yeah, you would run. As you would cool as I would think it was afterwards, yeah. I would get out of there. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. You know? Essentially, they all flee. And as they're fleeing... She gets knocked out of the sky. She gets knocked out of the sky. Mm-hmm. Well, it's not It's not that she gets knocked out of the sky. What it is, is they set a bomb up mm-hmm. and blow up her house. And she gets too close to it because she doesn't realise what it is and gets knocked off her broomstick. Yeah, it's her and, workshop. Yeah, and all of the kind of inanimate objects the spell stops. And we get really nice sequences, like they just they fall. deflate, yeah. But again, like, do the soldiers not think of coming back, like, no, she's got no forces now. They just go. Yeah, no, they're out. They're out of there. <laughs> I'd be out. <laughs> and then I we get a great line where the old guards say, I think we taught them all a lesson. Oh, yeah, the, the home guard, like, realised what was happening yeah. About five minutes before the end of this fight. Yeah, it's like, did you and teach him a lesson? Down the hill. What did you contribute? You did nothing. They ran down the hill shouting, get out of our town. I probably think they did. They, they were blind to everything else that was going on and literally just thought, we did it. Mm-hmm. We won. We saved the day. Nobody will ever know that it was Eglantine nope. that saved England. Nope. <sighs> yeah. She's so... disappointed because all her spells are gone, but she is going to give up being a witch. 
Yes, and now she's going to be a mum instead. Ugh, that's a horrible way to end. I know, why can't she still be a witch? Why can't she do both? You know, they, they, they've got half the book. They know where the other book is. They can steal it from the bookkeeper. They don't did they need get blown the other up? half. Well, she doesn't have her spells anymore, and she's lost her notebook, and she doesn't remember them. They need the book to be able to get the spells back. Well, she can still do substitutionary locomotion. Yeah. You know, she tries to pass off that it's because of the poison dragon's liver. I didn't like the idea that she stops being a witch. I, I thought that was just kind of, like, disappointing. You know, like, she's discovered a greater passion in witchcraft. She's going to be a mother. Yeah. You know, and we see yeah, that... Yeah, she's adopted the kids. Yeah, and, and Brown is leaving because he's joined the Home Guard. No, he's enlisted. Yeah. Not in the Home Guard. Yeah, he's enlisted in the army. He's going off yeah. with the Home Guard on the way. The he home would guard do anything don't... to not be a father. <laughs> right? So the the plot synopsis... I always have the synopsis in front of me yeah. because my memory's shocking. Yes. But the plot synopsis that I have says... Mr. Brown has made a commitment to becoming a father to the children and has moved in with them. He also enlists in the army. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's the emptiest of promises. It's like, yeah. he says, he'll be back before Charlie is an inch bigger. It's like, no, you won't. No, you won't. Let's be honest, you're going to go to war and you're going to come back in five years if you come back at all. Maybe he'll turn himself into a rabbit. <laughs> he's, he's literally, time. what he's going to do is the second they're out of, out, out of like shot... He's, like, he's going to say, thanks to the camouflage guys, run back to London. Mm-hmm. There's no way he's sticking around with these children. And, the, you know, the kids do look devastated. Yeah, Charlie says to him, do you want me to come to the station with you? Yeah, he's like, no, Again. no, 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 no. Yeah. <laughs> so there's no more fun in this world. Just also, wait. I really like this actor, right? Yeah. He's great as Mr. Banks. And he's yeah. really good in this. I believe him as this, like, con man character. He looks kind of the same age as a bunch of the guys that are in the home Yeah, I know. He doesn't look young enough, does he? No. It, like, it, why can't they go if I know. he's allowed to? It is what it is. But, you know, we end very much on a downbeat of, like, there's no more fun. But just wait till Paul whips his knob out. Yeah, <laughs> he reveals he still has the bed knob. And they can still go on adventures. Yeah, they're going to they're gonna go to... That is the one spell she did that hasn't worn off. Yeah. And that's it. And we get mm-hmm. the finale. I, I wrote the note basically the same, but I don't remember what actually happens with the finale. The song was just it's basically... Just the same song. It was the, yeah, that's it. It was just the same as the old God song, wasn't it? I was mm-hmm. like, I'm not going to include this. You're like, well, it's on the song track. I'm like, mm-hmm. okay. Mm-hmm. You know, none of those men are coming back, are they? No. It's a sad if ending. they do, he's not going to want to be a father. It's a sad ending to this this film. Like... It doesn't feel like a fun ending to, that is what it should be, you know. No, this is uh, Mary Poppins' gritty, realistic cousin. It is, but, like, she's given up being a witch and she's not. she doesn't even really factor into the ending. And she's the main character. Yeah. It's just weird. Mm-hmm. What is your best song? My best song is Substitutionary Locomotion. Okay, I said bobbing along. Fair enough. I said bobbing along. I understand I, why. I like that song. Substitutory locomotion is good, but I just can't say it. Mm-hmm. And if I can't imagine myself singing it, then it loses points. The only reason I can say it is because in the song it's substitutory locomotion. So do you know what's weird is, is the fact that by this point we've recorded 
the interval song. Mm-hmm. I don't know what you're going to have me sing yet. You know, a little bit of behind the scenes tidbit for, Probably for the listeners. Probably bobbing along. That's good. That's a relief. Because <laughs> we're going to spend far too long if it's the other one. Stubbs, statutory locomotion. What's your skip song on this one? Um, the Home Guard song. Yeah, I said the Home Guard song. It's just like, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. I said that Eglantine is my MVP because I think it's really obvious like Angela Lansbury carries this. Mm-hmm. But I will also say that Paul is so cute. And so cute. so important in why this film is successful and has like this charm to it. You know, I really liked yeah. Paul. And, and you know, he wasn't just a simple kid performer. There was so much good to him. Uh, I would assume one of those two is your MVP. Yeah, it's it's Angela Lansbury. Yeah, you can't not give it to her in this. No, like, she's great. You know, she, she does carry this. Obviously, Professor Brown is great. Mm-hmm. But it is her story, which is why it's so weird that the ending is kind of just like... Focused on him, yeah. Haven't written a roll down... I guess I'm being Amelius Brown, but I don't really know if I'd want to. I want to be King Leo, you know. know, If we do a stage version, and obviously we're going to see it, hopefully, Mm -hmm. I I'll I'll be King Leo. Maybe because we want to go and see the stage version of this when it's in the UK. We can do like a mini episode where we talk about if that changed our opinion on some of the characters. Yeah, yeah. And if you'd want to play anyone, and you know, if anyone from the Bedknobs and Broomsticks creative team is. Is, is listening to this get in touch we'd love to love to work with you on a on a podcast yes please <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'll say my role is is king leo actually i think that'd be quite fun to do a little small bit role and you get to play some footy mm-hmm. what more could you want which role yeah. do you want to be i'm assuming eglantine eglantine yeah you 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 wanted to be professor brown boo <laughs> Yeah, I could see that. I think this is a role that you would really have fun with and enjoy. And it yeah. is Angela Lansbury, and she's great. I am already this character. It's true. <laughs> so, over to Twitter. One of our most landslide kind of, like, votes. Yeah. 7% said no, really not for me. 26% said it's okay. 67% said yes, love this film. Mm-hmm. At Divers Pod said... Bedknobs and Broomsticks is my favourite film. I used to watch it every day and know pretty much all of it off by heart. At Spy Hearts, said more of a Poppins guy myself. That's fair. And you know, like they are completely different and not even in the same world, but obviously there is so much about it. It's Disney, it's the Sherman Brothers, and it has that kind of Mary Poppins-esque mm-hmm. animation sequence. I do think it... I, I talked about it being a spiritual successor. Yeah. It's nothing to do with Mary Poppins, but there's enough about it. You're like, it's a kind of an unofficial follow-up. So I can understand mm-hmm. that. One, at Sleepy Time Tales, haven't watched it in 20 years, so not sure if I should risk a vote, but I loved it more than Mary Poppins back then. Mm-hmm. Hope it's not surprisingly problematic. A little bit. A little bit. At need underscore three underscore mugs. So Ray, host of Not Before Coffee, mm-hmm. said, prefer this to Mary Poppins. Despite loving Sherman Brothers, I like Bedknobs and Broomsticks more than Mary Poppins. It wasn't the music that I preferred so much as the story. Angela Lansbury's character was flawed and human. And I think you said the same thing, didn't you? Yeah, definitely. 
at Paul and Griff show said bed knobs and broomsticks is a classic and a lot of fun. The football match is great. Some of the weirdest rules I've ever seen in football. At cold callers said bobbing along, but the best line in any film. What's that got to do with my knob? Absolutely. Yep. And at Smorga Stories, Bedknobs and Broomsticks is one of our faves. Excuse us, we have an appointment on Portobello Road to be getting to. We need to see a man about a book. So, you know, this one's got a lot of people who really like this one. Mm -hmm. And of course, we would be remiss if we did not go over to at Miss underscore Elena. Yes. This movie is another movie that I watch when I'm having a bad day or not feeling well to cheer myself up. It's so underrated and underappreciated. Angela Lansbury did a fantastic job as Eglantine Price, and I thought she was paired hilariously with David Tomlinson as Professor Emilius Brown. They play off of each other very well. While I do think it downplays the fact that the Nazis began to invade, I do think they made the Nazis scary enough for a children's film kind of like The Sound of Music. Which I think is a fair point, actually. Like, as a kid, I could see them being really scary. As an adult, they're just... They're kind of non-entities. But as a child, I could see that being really, really scary. Yeah. My favourite numbers are The Age of Not Believing. Great audition song. I should use it. So, sorry. I didn't like that one. Please don't (laughs) dislike me. Beautiful Briny Sea is a fun song. I like that one. I think think that's iconic. Mm -hmm. You know, I think everyone knows that. Portobello Road and Substitutory. I know I misspelled it, Locomotion. Probably spelled it closer than I did, Elena, to be completely honest. It's one of the last great Disney live-action movie musicals and probably didn't do well because it was the 70s and by that point they weren't popular anymore, sadly. Which I think is a fair point, you know. Has there ever been any talk of a sequel of this? Especially now with the advent of Disney+. Plus, Was there ever any talk about a follow-up to Bedknobs and Broomsticks? Or did they feel that they kind of wrapped up that world and that was it? No, not so far as I've seen. I wouldn't want one. I wouldn't want one. But I wonder if it had been better received in that time period, would something have happened? Yeah. I gave it three stars. I enjoyed it. I think the songs are not as catchy you know there's not many songs i'm going to be adding to my playlist but i really like the story of this one yeah and it'll be interesting to see if the stage show changes things when we do go and see it but i think there's some moments that are over long you know football match is good to an extent that could have been a great song the ending again just kind of feels like it's like it's rushed you know like it's just so like oh we'll get the clothes out and that's it I, I did enjoy it. I had a lot of fun watching it. There'd be a few things I'd probably fast forward to rewatch this one. Yeah. Fair enough. We are going to be watching Pippin this week. Yeah. Next week, we are going to be watching the 1981 filmed for TV pro shot of Pippin. Is it a musical? Yes. About. <laughs> Hello, it's a musical. <laughs> yes, it is. Is it a musical about Pippin, famously of Merry and Pippin from Lord of the Rings? No. Okay. Obviously not. I have no idea about this one. I really, I don't know who wrote it. I, I don't know a thing. i tell you what it is. It's Fosse. Good. Right. Okay. <laughs> this will be our first official Fosse. Mm-hmm. 
Cool. Okay, well, we will be talking about Pippin next week. Yeah. I am very excited to mm-hmm. finally experience some Fossey. Obviously, I know it from Chicago. Yeah. I know it from Prom. <laughs> Just from that one song, yeah. I'm gonna. We're going to give it some zazz yep. next week. Mm-hmm. And some of you may have already noticed that on Friday, Just Gone, we launched the first of a brand new series that will be going monthly it's your favorite musical podcast where we talk to people uh, about their favorite musicals so you can check that episode out we have drew's brother jake on it's been very exciting to talk to it and obviously and already since since we launched it people have spread some really nice kind words there and if you've enjoyed it let us know and if you'd like to be on it get in contact because you know, we love to have conversations about your favourite musical. And as always, you can get involved in the conversation over on Twitter and Instagram at It's a Musical Pod. Let us know your thoughts on Pippin. Is this one you love? Is this one you've never heard of? Like me, you can follow us and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Google Podcasts on Amazon Podcasts via the Amazon Music app, on Stitcher and on Podbean. And if you are feeling generous, if you've enjoyed this episode, why not go and leave us a five-star review and let us know how much you enjoyed it, because it makes our day. Make sure you tune in next week as we talk about Fossey's Pippin. Find us same bat place, same bat channel. And have a magical, musical Monday.